show. Obviously, you're not a golfer. What kind of beer do you like? Heineken! Fuck that shit! Pops, blue ribbon! You take drugs, Danny? Every day. Good. So what's the problem? I don't know. Money, 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 money! I drink your milkshake! I drink it up! Son of a bitch. Stole mine. You're a cantaloupe. <laughs> Fosters. <laughs> Australian for beer. That's good stuff. <laughs> yeah, uh, I do like the lagers. I don't mind it. It's actually pretty good. Yeah. I know Australians are like, Fosters sucks. Uh, but I'll say it's not too bad. Yeah. This was the only Australian beer available to us, at least at the local liquor store by my place. It was brewed in the USA. <laughs> yeah, which does not <laughs> does not make me happy. It says imported ingredients, but who knows where the fuck they imported them from? Probably Mexico, because it was brewed in Texas. Cut down on costs. Oh, we are drinking and thinking. <laughs> We're and drinking oil can Fosters. Mm. It's gonna be pointed out. Seven fifty mil cans. The big dogs. Twenty five point four ounces. These are some fat cans. Feels perfect in my mitts. <laughs> I got some big mitts. This is like one of the cooler cans I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. I got big hands. It's nice to have just a handful of something. <laughs> <laughs> and I do like loggers, and this is actually pretty good. I can't remember if I've had fosters before or not. But this is pretty good. Yeah. I've had the oil can before, but not in a long time. I wanted to get the Victorian better. But, as we said on a previous episode, can't really get it in the U.S. Where'd you get it? Where'd you go for this? Uh, on uh, Old Shakopee over there. Oh, okay. Curious if uh, Big Liquor Store, they're over A bigger Blue one might have, wine. they might have more Australian Something beers. Australian, yeah. But, when I was looking online, Victorian Bitter didn't look like it was even sold in the U.S. Sure. So, um, this is a pint. No, this is more than a pint. Says a pint. A pint is sixteen ounces. Oh. Oh, maybe it's just comparing a pint. I thought in the back it said one. Yeah, it's one pint, nine point four. See one point nine because it's nine point four over sixteen. Yeah. Sixteen plus nine point four is twenty five point four. Yep. Well, figured it out. <laughs> there you go. Welcome back to WTM. Watch this movie. I am your host, Eric Mulder. Eric, he is a bad, bad man. Joined once again by Mr. Alex Jones. Hey, hey. Let him watch. Let him watch. That's Mr. <laughs> Let him watch. <laughs> Mr. Let him watch to you. <laughs> the bicep. Mm. Today, we're doing a breakdown of Wake in Fright. I'm pretty pumped. Yeah. I enjoyed this movie quite a bit. Probably the most drinking 
I've ever seen in a movie, at least beer. Yeah. Like leaving Las Vegas, Cage is always down on like bottles of, you know, vodka and whatever. Barfly. Yeah. They're just kind of pounding whatever. Yeah. Although he drinks a little more beer than alcohol, but he, he drinks fucking anything. Uh, yeah. he, uh, he sucks on some bottles too. Yeah. Yeah. But this is right up there with the heavy hitters of the drink. Uh, this drinking this movies. is right in line <laughs> with the movies where you go, mm, maybe I should quit drinking. <laughs> <laughs> but then you just go, nah, that's stupid thinking. Uh, I should drink with the movie. I should drink more. I should make a drinking <laughs> game out of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Which I did suggest to Sam during it. I was like, we should take a drink every time they drink eventually. I go, or we slam a beer every time they slam a beer and see how long we can last. I did see a little little fun fact stat that there's approximately 107 occurrences in the film where a person drinks from a beer glass, beer bottle, whiskey bottle, or whiskey glass. Oh. I so wanted to count. I was cur- I'm glad you found something because I n- ended up not counting how many times. But uh, Yeah, we're going to be burping a lot and yeah. speaking weird, so that's the Fosters. Yeah, yeah. It is. We're continuing our dual summers. This is the summer down under. Yeah. Doing Australian films. This is our first Australian film, which we're going to follow up with a leftover of Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. Tina we'll, Turner. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Master Blaster. Who <laughs> run Bartertown? Master Blaster. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we'll be doing a breakdown of Animal Kingdom, and then oh. we'll probably be doing a fourth Aussie film yet to be named. Or maybe we'll fit a New Zealand one in there. Throw the Kiwis a bone. Yeah. Uh, no. No. <laughs> 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 Just because you don't want to, well, I mean, we didn't, well, neither of like us wanted to do well, Lord of the Rings. The, sound, the summer down under, is that offensive to Australians? If you so. now are saying New Zealanders are included? Well, I think they have a kinship, the Dude. Aussies and the Kiwis. You nah. think? On Maybe. the surface, deep down under, I don't know if there's a kinship. I know they don't like getting mixed up. We learned right. that in Death Proof. Exactly. <laughs> you never miss an Aussie, <laughs> you know, mix an Aussie with a Kiwi. Because uh, um, Brainfar, what's her name? Uh, stunt double for Uma Thurman. Nah, I don't remember. The blonde... Uh, I know what you're talking about. I just don't remember her name. But she's from New Zealand. Another film, uh, shout out to New Zealand. You know, We Are What We Are. The the vampire comedy. Oh, yeah, that is New Zealand. That's Uh right. But we don't really do a lot of comedies because it's mostly. What'd you say? What's some? What'd you say? What isn't it? We Are What We Are? No, wait. What we do in the shadows. Well, yeah, what we do. I'm sorry. I'm thinking of another horror horror movie. But yeah, what we do in the shadows is the Kiwi film. But we really do a lot of comedies because it's just more like, hey, this is a funny part. And then we laughed when we saw this part. And then when we saw this part. Yeah. Uh, what we do in the shadows is go and watch it. That is fucking hilarious. That was a good one. Zoe Bell is who I was thinking of. The QE. Gotcha. But yes, Wake in Fright. Um, I'm just going to start off by saying... Uh, I saw this movie in theaters when it was re-released maybe about four years ago, something like that. It was at Cannes in 71. 
did well there. Didn't like win the big award, but mm-hmm. it was chosen, and that's that's a big deal. And then it was kind of lost. It was never on VHS, pretty much, or uh, Laserdisc, nothing like that. The print was lost for decades until about 04. They found a negative print in a shipping container in Pittsburgh. Uh, the container was marked uh, for destruction when somebody found it. So they took it out. Apparently there was another print found at the Library of Congress, but that was like a 95-minute cut or something like that. So that was not like the full cut. Maybe a TV cut or something? Yeah, I possibly. Do, I remember seeing an old saying it was shown on TV. Yep. But also kind of sparingly. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Not widespread. Because Wake and Fright itself is an hour and 48 minutes. So it looks like it was maybe missing about 13 minutes of. It was probably missing the uh, kangaroo hunt. <laughs> <laughs> probably. But yeah, uh, kind of a lost movie. It was shown a second time at Cannes. And it's kind of had a big re-release. It was uh, came out again, I think, on DVD first in like 09. It was like a remaster. Mm-hmm. Uh, I bought the Blu-ray in like. 12 or 13, whenever they had that re-release. I was out in theaters. Went out of the Edina. And it might be my favorite movie-going experience of all time. I can't really think of a movie that I saw that I had, like, a better time at the theater. Because I remember thinking... Because a lot of people, they see the, the name Wake and Fright, and they expect a horror movie. And it kind of is, but it's a different type of... More psychological... Mm-hmm. And it's not, you know, there's not a killer on the loose killing people and shit like that. It's, 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 it seems fun and innocent enough just having a lot of drinking, good times. <laughs> These down some dark paths. But I remember just, so you would think that I was maybe disappointed almost when I was watching in the theater. Like, this isn't like a horror movie. What the hell's going on here? But I was captivated from beginning to end. Mm-hmm. On the edge of my seat, just loving it, watching them fucking throw pennies up in the air and watching them fall and betting on it. Mm-hmm. I was like, I want to go there right now and I want to start gambling and I want to start drinking <laughs> right now. Play a little two up. <laughs> a little two up. Yeah. In Bundanyaba. Yeah. Uh, I think I showed this to you a couple of years ago. Yeah. After I bought it on Blu-ray. Yep. You Maybe. told me about it and then we watched it together and i was left with a similar reaction uh i the front of the blu-ray that you have martin scorsese says it left me speechless uh it, yeah it's pretty i don't know it, it was it's really fucking good <laughs> just a really good movie it's kind of wild how it kind of fell into obscurity and was lost and you know the possibility of it never really resurfacing had it been destroyed um it's pretty nuts and also considering kind of the cast which we'll get into largely unknown director largely unknown at the time yeah at the time uh it was just really well made uh and like you said it the title indicates horror thriller type thing like that and it's not but it's definitely disturbing this shit. Um, I you you can get the impression of like more of an original type of thriller, <laughs> really, if you think about it. But because uh, the guy is kind of tormented 
like throughout the movie, not in the beginning, but I would say he's kind of drug along <laughs> mm-hmm. unwillingly through the majority of the movie. Um, yeah, it's fucking excellent, excellent film. When we discussed the movie uh, lately during our breakdowns and leftovers, we haven't been doing what we usually used to do, which was kind of read through the whole <laughs> plot synopsis summary. Mm-hmm. Off of like Wikipedia or IMDb. We're not going to do that again here. Also, I think it kind of fits more doing it that way because this is kind of like an odyssey that main character John Grant goes on. Kind of self-discovery. It's the wildest Christmas break vacation (laughs) in the history of Christmas breaks. That's that's how I think of it. Shitter was full, dude. (laughs) Well, that's a Christmas break. (laughs) That's a Christmas vacation right there. Yeah. This could be a Christmas movie if you really want to break it down. <laughs> it is. There's a Christmas tree in it. See? Top yeah. five Christmas movies. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't think of it. I thought of Eyes Wide Shut, but not Wake and Fright. Damn Rats. <laughs> um, so we think it would be better <laughs> just to more, <laughs> more uh, just kind of go on a odyssey with john grant as we go along here stumble through it we'll give some details and then some fun facts later and in between we'll discuss some themes break it down a little bit for you um let you know that some of the sources we have is yes imdb so some of the fun facts you know take a little bit of a little grain of salt maybe some production notes from wikipedia i also i listened to an interview of the director uh, Ted Kopchev, or Kopchev, yeah, also director of First Blood. For mm-hmm. people who don't know, yeah. What else did he do? He did uh, oh fucking you know Weekend at Bernie's. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's done he a lot did of stuff. Two episodes of Red Shoe Diaries in '92. <laughs> does that ring a bell at all from your childhood? Uh, Red Shoe Diaries does. Yeah. <laughs> Go to a friend's. You got Showtime, <laughs> dude. Red Shoe Diaries, midnight. We gotta stay up till midnight. We all get blankets and then we just watch. Oh, you guys didn't use the same blanket? <laughs> no, we were classy. It wasn't a wake and fright type of sitch. <laughs> but yes, uh, Ted Kopchev is a Canadian director. He also did North Dallas Forty, um, the original like fun of Dick and Jane. And Billy Two Hats? Remember old Billy Two Hats? I've never heard of it, but it nope. seems like a fun title. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's what he's most known for, known for is a producer in Law and & Order, and then First Blood, Weekend at Bernie's, and then uh, Wake and Fright. So arguably this is his best movie. Oh, yes. Greatest achievement. First Blood is actually a pretty fucking good movie, but yep. not Wake and Fright good. Mm-hmm. Sam and I were trying to think of a movie on the 4th of July to watch. Uh, it was like patriotic, like something American. We were going through all the movies and like, eh, maybe. I go, First Blood? Huh? <laughs> it got it got down to the final three. First Blood was one of the choices. And then it, it you just end. doing flipping once? She huh? just make you flip once? She doesn't allow flipping. Oh. <laughs> no People flip. don't know. Occasionally we do, we do the Breaking Bad coin flip and then that call it. Only once, though. Not seven times. Jones and I like to flip coins. <laughs> we pick out a bunch of movies, and then we decide what we're going to watch by flipping coins. 
usually it starts three out of five, and then like the last two movies are like four out of seven. Yeah. And Sam's not a fan of that. Another reason why we would just kill it at two up. We'd probably <laughs> just be fucking ripping just double heads, double tails. <laughs> just fucking smoking it. Well, if you're spinning, well, if either of us spinning, you gotta be getting the heads. Right. Not the tails. Well, you can bet on either. Not if you're spinning. Oh, not if that's you're flipping, right. remember? Yeah, yeah, yep, you're right. Whoever flips always bets heads. Yep. Name of the game, two up. <laughs> two up. Uh, Shows the type of entertainment <laughs> the Yaba needed. So, like I said, directed by Ted Kopchiff. Uh, came out in 71. It was a Cannes 71. We said it was at the, uh, it was Cannes, cl- like Cannes Classic. Or Classics is what they had. Uh, it was an event like five years ago or something like that, where this was shown again. And this has the distinction of being one of only two films ever shown twice at Cannes. The other is La Ventura. Now, can you educate me? Why was that movie shown twice? What? La Ventura. French, I haven't seen it. I French know it's film? very famous. Um, let's see if I can pull it up here. I thought maybe you knew offhand. Because this was shown twice strictly because it was shown the first time just because it was so good. And then it was shown the second time because they found and restored it. Uh, but I was curious, the connection. <laughs> it's uh, Michelangelo Antonio's, or Antoni's, Antonioni. Antonioni? Antonioni. <laughs> I ate some of those the other day. That's right, Antonio. Ravioni. <laughs> uh, Laventura uh, from 1960. Um, I guess I couldn't tell you why that was another one that was shown twice. Because I would have figured if it was Can Classic, they would have showed a bunch from the past. Mm-hmm. But maybe they just showed a bunch that weren't that weren't originally shown a competition. And they're like, hey, we fucked up. We should have showed this back in the day. We're going to show it now type of thing. Like, th- it wasn't in competition again. Like, Wake and Fright wasn't up for no, the Pomodoro you know, a few years ago. But Right. And they only, they only showed Wake and Fright strictly because of the restoration. Right? To kind of celebrate that. They found, restored this film. Yeah. Brought it back up. Uh, and who knows? Maybe Scorsese was on the jury that year. He was. Oh, he was. Okay. Yeah, that's that's where, probably. Why. I think that's where he made the comment. He he was part of it in some fashion. I don't know if he was a, on the jury or he was part of some mm-hmm. part of the committee or some shit. But um, it was like I was saying earlier. I I listened to a interview with the director Ted Kopchiff on the podcast uh, The Projection Booth. They do a really good job of classic films well they'll interview directors actors people involved with the film uh, in this episode they interviewed director uh, the editor and then um, uh, one of the actors uh, yeah they interviewed uh, Jack Thompson he plays Dick he's one of the guys that they go hunting with he's Dick like and the, Joe yeah he's like more one of the, like the more blonde one shorter, Joe's like shorter one yeah Joe's yeah. taller and bigger but yeah, very good episode. So yeah, check out Projection Booth episode on Awake and Fright. Also a good one. Uh, but he said uh, director in there, Kopchiff. Kopchiff. Yep. He talked about being at Cannes in 71. And the directors sit in the first row in the middle of the balcony. And then people, like the jury comes in, you know, they kind of say hi, and then they go sit down and they watch the movie. He said during the movie... There's some kid behind him that was just like, 
every few minutes or so or every every other scene it was a oh what a scene oh wow oh man this is great Scorsese <laughs> he's like who the fuck is this you know who is this guy they you know, go his, they go his eyebrows were so loud right? <laughs> after the showing was over he's outside talking to like one of his producers or one of the people involved with the festival he's like who's that guy you know kept on talking about how much he loved the movie like during the show it was I don't know he's just some he's a nobody you know he had a he had a film. He did a one film that came out last year, kind of a flop, you know, kind of a just nobody. Don't worry about it. He said, "Well, no, who, who is it?" He goes, "I don't know, some some Italian guy, Martin Scorsese or something." Fucking <laughs> <laughs> so Scorsese when Scorsese was twenty five. <laughs> this man's a twenty five year old Scorsese. <laughs> oh wow, what a scene! <laughs> Ooh, oh my god, what a scene! <laughs> <laughs> just like his mom was probably there with him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, have you eaten? <laughs> I'm gonna fix you something. So, like throughout the years, he talks about how he he had still never met Scorsese. Like he didn't turn around and meet him at the premiere or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, they exchanged some, I think, letters and maybe even later on emails. But uh, he he said several years ago or maybe it was even more like a decade ago, he went to some Hollywood party. Uh, it was a friend of his that was, you know, a movie was coming out, and he doesn't really like to go to those, but he decided to go. And he saw Scorsese there sitting, like, on a couch next to De Niro. And so he went over there, and he said, you know, you know, Martin, this is Ted, Ted Kopchev. You know, we never met before. He goes, oh, Ted, oh, I love your work. I love Awake and Fright, you know, one of my favorite movies. <laughs> And he proceeds to tell De Niro the story about the Cannes premiere in 71 and talking about how he's, you know, every, he wouldn't shut up during, oh my God, what a scene. And De Niro goes, Ted, he does that for everybody's movie, but, you, <laughs> but usually it's not so good. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought that was pretty funny. Uh, that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking dick. I can picture, I mean, when you see Scorsese in interviews, he is like a kid in a candy store when he's talking about movies. He's like, oh, oh my God, it's a breathtaking movie. And like everything well, just like, like overwhelms he, him. He's, just, he's old, but he's like a big, he's a nerd. He's a big it's kid. Sa- it's the same thing with like Quentin. When you see Quentin talk about movies, mm-hmm. like they're, they're fucking nerds to the point where like, oh my God, it's so good. And this and this, like they can't quit talking about, but it's contagious. It's like, fuck yeah. Like... <laughs> It's like, I want to be that into movies. <laughs> yeah. That's why we're doing this fucking podcast. Yeah, in the Yaba. <laughs> Yaba Studios. Yaba Studios. It is It is a hot one today. Yeah. But a hundo out here in Minnesota. Not a hundo. Hundo. In well, the Yaba. <laughs> with the humidity. And the body heat. There ain't much. <laughs> we both ain't got no pants on. <laughs> Going Donald Bludson style. <laughs> Uh, we have shorts on. Jorts. No. <laughs> Don't do a spit take of the Fosters into the mic. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> Sorry if we get a little off track. Uh, Fosters. We'll just blame it on the Fosters. We both are, have already had some in the last episode. We People are going to start to think that Fosters is paying us. We're <laughs> <laughs> saying it so much. Fosters. Damn good beer. 
Yeah, surprisingly. I mean, I do like lagers, but pretty good. Mediocre. <laughs> Mediocre. <laughs> Mediocre. God, need that sound. Australian like. movie. Mad yeah. Max. Pretty yeah. good. There you go. Pretty much. Um, so back to the story at hand. Cast list. Gary Bond plays the main character, John Grant. Donald Pleasance is Doc Tyson. Chips Rafferty is Jack Crawford, or Jock Crawford. Sylvia Kay is Jeanette Hines. Jack Thompson's Dick. Peter Whittle's Joe. And I got to point out John Milon. Mion, Milion. He's Charlie. Now, he's the bartender you see in the beginning and the end of the movie. He's in Tabunda. Yep. Which is where John Grant teaches. Yep. And I got to point him out because he plays Wally in Crocodile Dundee movies. Okay. So was, when I first saw this, I was like, is that fucking Wally? <laughs> and looked it up, sure enough, there it was. Fucking ah. Wally. He died in 89 at the age of 55, so he died pretty young. Uh, there's two semi-related deaths between some of the cast. So Gary Bond played John Grant, and then Donald Pleasance both died in 1995. Ah, both British yep. actors. And obviously Gary Bond, I think, was only like 39, 40. He was relatively young in 95. Hmm. I think I had seen on IMDb. Donald Pleasance was old, older by then. I mean, did you see Halloween 6? He could, <laughs> he could barely fucking move around. That is true. <laughs> but yes, uh, John Grant, or Gary Bond plays John Grant, who's a British, he plays a, well, he is British, and he plays like a British immigrant to Australia, who's a teacher in a small town out in the outback called Taboonda. Mm-hmm. And let's go through the story here. Wake and Fright is the story of John Grant, a bonded teacher who arrives in the rough outback mining town of Bundanyaba, planning to stay overnight before catching the plane to Sydney. But his one night stretches to five, and he plunges headlong toward his own destruction. When the alcohol-induced mist lifts, the educated John Grant is no more. Instead, there is a self-loathing man in a desolate wasteland, dirty, red-eyed, sitting against a tree and looking at a rifle with one bullet left. What is that from? IMDb? Mm-hmm. It's kind of a longer one. I was like, that's a good one. It's actually a pretty good synopsis. Yeah. It, yep. it gives, like, kind of the whole span of the story without mm-hmm. having to go through the whole fucking thing. Yep. So, the story starts with, it's the last day of school before winter break, winter vacation. He's a teacher in a one-room schoolhouse in Tabunda, yep. which... I mean, it starts with all you see is a desolate wasteland. There's a railroad tracks and there's a a building, a small building on either side. One of them's the fucking school and one of them's uh, the bar and like a room in the back. A room in the back <laughs> that John Grant's been staying in. Yeah, yeah. That he rents out. Apparently, there's some more houses and maybe a few more like municipal type buildings, but you can't really see it. It looks like it's pretty spread out. Yeah. So his plan is to go see his girlfriend robin in sydney over winter break so he's gonna travel by train to the airport and head on down to sydney and uh he stops off in bundanyaba or the yaba as it's known Mm -hmm. for short and proceeds to lose all his money and he's just kind of stuck there for (laughs) a weekend bender on alcohol yep so 
Let's get into it. It is based on a novel of the same name by Kenneth Cook. Yep. Now, neither of us have read the book, but from what I hear, <laughs> the movie follows the book pretty closely. Yeah, that's kind of what I read, too. So, I would be interested in reading it. Definitely have to put it on my list for later, which I've read, I've almost read three books this year, which is a big step up from <laughs> one book over the past, like, six years. That's pretty good. <laughs> I read a James Bond book like four years ago while I was working at the theater. And then this year I've read three not James Bond books, but just killing it. Twin Peaks book, Norm MacDonald, uh memoir, and then Nitro memoir. <laughs> <laughs> Nitro for American Gladiators. Nice span of topics. <laughs> do you have any, any do you have any info on Ken? Otherwise I got some. Kenneth notes. Cook? Yeah. Take it. So Kenneth Cook uh wrote the book in sixty one. And a lot of what he wrote in the book, like you said, followed closely. Um, the movie follows pretty closely, but it, he based it, the Yaba, on an actual town in Australia, which is actually kind of a tourist attraction now. But the town that it's based upon is called Broken Hill. Mm-hmm. And how it was described, I can't remember if he described it this way or if it was described in an article. So outside of the sources you mentioned, I also read a pretty lengthy article in the Making Awaken Fright from an Australian um, Australian website, the SBS, which is a national public television network in Australia, mm-hmm. um, that talked about this. But uh, so... A quote describing Broken Hill by Kenneth Cook was unmitigated boil of horror. Perhaps the most <laughs> horrible aspect about it is, is its brash and aggressive friendliness. It's what happens in so many Australian towns when you have people living in conditions which were not meant for a white man, mm-hmm. which slightly gets racist towards the end a little bit. Uh, but apparently Kenneth Cook was stationed there for ABC. He was a reporter for ABC, apparently. Um and at one point while he was stationed there for some uh, report or um, assignment, he went on a kangaroo hunt and accidentally blew off one of his fingers. Um, hmm. But he also talks in depth about how the Broken Hill is known for its mining, which is touched on in the movie. Joe and uh, Dick. Joe and Dick are both miners and stuff like that. They talk about... The Yaba being a mining town type thing. Apparently, Broken Hill in 1970 operated for over a century and produced one produced uh, 1.5 billion dollars worth of ore. Um, like iron ore. Yep. Well, fuck, we know all about that. We got the Iron <laughs> Range, Northern yeah. Minnesota. Um, it sits on the richest load of zinc, silver, and lead in the world. Apparently, hmm. this town. So it's just shitloads of hard laborers, but apparently they pay them really well. Um, at the time, there were 5,000 miners then, and $30 million was paid out to the workers of the city a year, and $2 million of it was spent on booze in Broken Hills, 37 pubs, and 12 licensed clubs. They talk about how the police force, with two-up gambling and stuff like that, and prostitution, it was just kind of like a free-for-all. Mm-hmm. Like the police force was... It was an unspoken agreement. Yeah, we don't give a shit type thing like that. So uh, Rafferty, how he portrays the cops, he says it's pretty damn close to how it actually was. Um, yeah, because the illegal two-up schools were an open secret and become a, have become a tourist attraction. 
and the hotels were actually made by the hours. So you could just get a hotel room for an hour if you wanted. They didn't give a shit. Uh, <laughs> but another interesting thing in the book that he talks about, which the movie gets into, is how the women are kind of talked about a little bit. So uh, in the movie, women are kind of non-existent. There's not a lot of them. They're kind of a second <laughs> thought. Um, and apparently uh, women weren't permitted to drink in the public bar. And even if they had, they wouldn't be interested. Mm-hmm. And uh, he talks, I think Ted Koch have talked in the article about how when he went to the town, when he got into Sydney and then they went out to Broken Hill to check out this town, that he would see cars outside the pub with women sitting in them. And mm-hmm. then there would be kids playing in the parking lots and how women would just sit outside. They weren't interested in going inside. They weren't allowed to go inside. And the suicide rate in the town was very high. And it was mostly women who were killing themselves. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty wild. It's fucking nuts, this town, like Broken Hill. If it's as gritty as it sounds. but um, And apparently the men outnumber the women three to one at the mm-hmm. time. I don't know if that's still accurate. But uh, but Kachev also said, uh, he said there's no answers for what went on sexuality in the town. And he says that a lot of the fighting that occurred, because he said he walked into a bar when he first got there, and he was warned before going in, like, they don't like outsiders. They're immediately going to look you, like, kind of size you up type thing mm-hmm. like that. And he kind of just was like, ah, whatever type thing. And he went in there, and he said it was like a Western. Everybody turned. Uh, they just stared at him. And somebody made a comment about he had a mustache that looked like Joseph Stalin. Mm-hmm. Somebody made a comment about his mustache. <laughs> He just kind of brushed him off. Um, and then, uh, God, I forget the back and forth with the guy. I He talked about an interview about in there? Okay. I listened to. Super interesting. But it, you can tell the interaction. Uh, and uh, the interaction in the movie when John Grant walks into the bar, and he's kind of hassled. And then when he cracks the joke with the sheriff, and the sheriff's like, Ah, I like a guy. I like a mate with a good sense of humor type thing. Yep. Apparently, Kachev had the same thing because somebody busted his balls. He busted it back, and then the yep. place kind of laughed, and then that was it. But he said it was just fucking hardcore, like, drinking and, like, super interesting, though. And uh, the way they describe Broken Hill, you're like, eh, Wake and Fright does a pretty good job. <laughs> it sounds yeah. like. <laughs> yeah, because he said uh, they were, you know, driving around looking for, you know, good pubs to shoot at. And he wanted one that was kind of out in the middle of nowhere. And he found one that was near Broken Hill. That there was, you know, there was a, just a pub out in the middle of fucking nowhere. With like a, like a big beer sign on it and whatnot. And mm-hmm. he went there. And there was 50 cars parked outside. Pretty much every one of them had a woman in the front <laughs> with a beehive hairdo just sitting there. Because <laughs> they weren't allowed in the bars. And like, like you said, they didn't really want to be in there anyways. Women did their thing and the men, I mean, I'm sure nowadays, yeah, they'd want to be in there. Nobody wants to sit in a fucking, it's like 110 in the shade. Like, I'm sure so. the women didn't love being sitting out there in the fucking No, car. they probably hated it. Like, they, they probably There's could, nothing else for them to do, I suppose. They could talk to each other, but that's it. You're still sitting out there in the heat. Yep. Like, maybe they got stuff delivered to them or, like, the, that they could drink. I don't know. But, yeah, it sounds like a kind of a shitty time. It's like a sewing circle that's. In 110-degree heat. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody likes to bitch in bitchy heat. Yeah. Like, you know, bitchy weather. So, 
uh, he went into this place and the guy's like, eh, you don't want to go in there. Cause he said he had that must handlebar mustache mm-hmm. kind of went down and then he had hair that went down to his elbows. So he just looked like a hippie. It was right around 1970, 1971 when this happened. And he walked into the bar and sat down and the guy next to him looked at him and goes, oh, sh- shit, <laughs> shit. And they call him Stalin. Yeah. And he's like, uh, he said something Stalin. He said, I can't can't talk if i'm dead that type of thing you know it's stalin oh was yeah, yeah. Dead. yeah that's what it was and he paused and then like he laughed and i like a bloke with a good sense of humor <laughs> hey get this guy a schooner ale yeah because they have like there's two units of beer that they talk about in awake and fright there's middies which are like 10 ounces yeah and there's the schooners which are 15 you know, give him a schooner of ale so after that point it was he was there all like all the whole rest of the day just drinking with people going back and forth who's buying what rounds and you know they became their mates they talk about mateship in australia at least in this in the outback like later on he was at another pub because he would go there you know after work at nights you know scouting locations you know getting a feel for you know the society and all that all the norms and whatnot and uh some guy came up to him you know wanting to fight because he's like everybody just wants to fight that's mm-hmm. like kind of it's like one thing he touched on is the men outnumber the women three to one because he was asking like a, a guy around that part or from that area you know what it's oh, what the fuck does everyone do mm-hmm. it was three to one so is there a lot of homosexual relationships he's like there's no gays here and he's like well what do you do and like, well you fight <laughs> and it's like it's kind of like they're always like people want to fight like they want like a physical connection with each other like the physical aspect of touching somebody else yeah or just wrestling around they wrestle around plenty plenty often in the movie yep sometimes it's harmless you know and sometimes it could be like hey you should pump the brakes a little bit somebody can get hurt and sometimes you wake up and donald pleasance has raped you (laughs) (laughs) it'll happen it'll happen (laughs) but yeah uh, some guy came up to him and is like you know, stuck his chin out and like, I want to, you know, let's fight. I want to fight. And somebody stood up and said, hey, that there's my mate. Leave him alone. And he's like, oh, sorry, sorry. So oh, I'm sorry. Can I go buy you a beer? And they're like, they're like instantly friends after the guy just wanted to fight him <laughs> for pretty much no reason other than how he looked and that he's an outsider. When Gary Bond or, you know, John Grant walks into the bar, everyone's eyeing him up and down. And we'll we'll talk about this kind of subtext theme of kind of suppressed homosexuality type of thing going on. And he walks into that bar. The first bar he walks into a lot of dudes. <laughs> it's pretty much all men. There was a, there's a women's section. So it wasn't like every bar, a woman just wasn't allowed in. It was like, if you were allowed into a place like that, you had a very, it was like a segregated section. Like you go here mm-hmm. and the men go here. And it's a small section because there aren't that many women. But the men are just going to go do whatever because it's men time. And you women are either going to go sit in the corner or you're going to sit out in the fucking car. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, he walks in and, like, all the men are, like, looking him up and down. Like, kind of, you don't know if they're eyeing him up like, I want to fight this guy or I want to fuck this guy. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, let's play a first clip here. This is... Uh, he, he's on the train and already someone's like, Hey, you want a beer? 
Yeah. Like, no, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. Well, and he uh, so he pounds a beer before he hops on the train. Yeah, he got Charlie the. Yep, Charlie gets him a guy beer from Crocodile Dundee. Yep, and then somebody offers him beer on the train. No thanks. Yep. But then he has the community water that's up there. There's only one glass and like that jar. Oh yeah, he yep. pulls it yep. down and yep. pours a glass and he sets the glass back and yep. it's like, yeah, hey, everyone just shares their glass. <laughs> if you want water, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, but you don't drink Yaba water is only for washing. This first clip is when he gets off the train, he has a little cab driver. Just a short little intro to the Yaba. You to the Yaba? Yes. Staying long? Yeah, just tonight. Oh, that's hard luck. Want to see a bit more of the Yaba than that. You think it's worth seeing? It's the best place in Australia. Everybody likes the Yaba. Well, it's a friendly place. Nobody worries who you are or where you come from. If you're a good bloke, you're all right. You know what I mean? And I really, uh, I think some of the reason I was so captivated by this movie is I could really relate to it, the small town nature. Sure. Where you, where you and I are from, mm-hmm. where Ted Kotcheff kind of talked about, he's from Canada, and Canada's... As, as he put it, Canada is like Australia on the rocks. Yeah. <laughs> as in like ice because it's, you know, cold. Obviously, mm-hmm. it's like the opposite. It's very barren, especially northern Canada. You know, what are they? What's the percentage of the uh, Canadian population that lives within like one hour of the U.S. border? Yeah, it's right. like, it's isn't it like over 90%? Yeah, it's pretty significant. It's all within like an hour of the border. Everyone they, lives in Canada. Canada very... has like, I forget. Uh, it has the second largest area of landmass to Russia, I yeah. think. Yeah, I mean it's huge, but mm-hmm. yeah, ninety percent or some high ass percentage of the people live right along the border, in all those major cities and small towns. Mm-hmm. And same thing with Australia; everything's right along the coast. Mm-hmm. It's probably over ninety percent. <laughs> They're living along. Then I'd say probably. F- you know, I'm not an expert in Australia. I don't want to piss you guys off, but I'm guessing it's within 50 or 100 miles of the coast is where the majority of the population is. Well, the thing is, nowadays, that's just becoming more and more com- Not the coast thing, but the big city thing. I mean, mm-hmm. th- that's just becoming common that there's more and more people. I forget the percentage, they say, that lives within a major city. It's it's kind of crazy when you think about it because there's so much land to that. <laughs> yeah. Everybody is just going to kind of a center point in all these different areas. And Broken Hill, I guess, is kind of known for being like one of the most innermost like towns in the mm-hmm. outback. Well, it's funny. I don't know where that Kenneth Cook, the author of the novel, grew up exactly. But one thing I had read in there that his second wife had said about the book, she said that his true feelings really came out in the book when he wrote it. Because he had romanticized, I think he was from Sydney, but I'm not positive, but he had romanticized the outback, the Australian outback as something like maybe very true and natural and you, the hunting and maybe the small town living and the hard work or something like that. I think you could say that of almost anywhere outside of major cities. But when he got there and his experiences, he was left just disappointed because it was just like... I don't know. Like he says, the in, the aggressive friendliness and the intense kind of male dominance that just kind of was all over the place and the drinking and the hunting and shit like that. So 
It's kind of interesting. You definitely get that from the movie. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's what I, like I was saying, I think that's what I kind of identified with is like the aggressive friendliness. Mm-hmm. We're both from Minnesota. I mean, you were what? Were you born in Colorado Springs? Yep. Colorado? Until I was but eight. And then you moved to yeah, <laughs> the Yaba from, of the West Central Minnesota. Colorado Springs, which is over, I don't know, it's over 100,000 people. Decent-sized town. To a town mm-hmm. of uh, 890 in Minnesota. <laughs> 890. <laughs> three numbers, 890. Yeah, that's it. 890. My, my town Something was like one of the next one over, and mine was the biggest in the area, and it was – Five and a half thousand. You're the so second, you get to Wilmer. You had the second biggest town that we would go to. Yeah. <laughs> Montevideo, Wilmer. Because on the other side of your town was Wilmer, which was like 20,000, 20, maybe? Uh, 15,000? Wilmer, no, Wilmer, I think, was around close to 25, 28. For okay. some reason, I want to say 28. I'm not positive. It's over 20. But from my town, it would have been about mm, 45 minutes, which isn't a, you know, yeah. a long ways, but those are the biggest towns... And the surrounding, you'd have to go hours away to get a bigger town. Oh, yeah. yeah. Twin my, Cities my, are... My town is far more common around there, 890. All the small towns around there were 1,000. Mm-hmm. They'd all border 1,000 to 500, I would say, uh, yeah. outside of Montevideo and Wilmer. Then it was just, yeah. And Minnesota is known for, you know, we have the Minnesota Nice. Yep. And it is true to a pretty strong extent actually um we are pretty nice for the most part uh also passive aggressive you could say some people would say mm-hmm. well they're nice but they're they're being assholes at the same time because they're really thinking fuck you yeah <laughs> like yeah. Being, like the passive aggressive nature but is true in some instances and others not you know it's just whatever yeah. it always depends on the person but small towns what is the stigma of small towns what do you do in small towns jones drink you drink heavy early (laughs) (laughs) and and why why do you drink because there's nothing else to do there's nothing else to do and you've probably done some form of manual labor that day and you want to drink (laughs) (laughs) that is beyond relatable in the movie was there they all work at the mine and then they all fucking you know you work hard you play hard type thing like they have mines, but we had. There's a lot of farmers. I grew was, up on a farm. Yeah, it was farm, farm areas. It's always farm work. Mm-hmm. Uh, Every fucking town has a big silo. Yep. Co-op. The grain elevators and co-ops for all the farmers to bring the grain. Yep. And the outback to us is gravel roads of <laughs> nothing. You drive around and you just park on gravel roads and party. That's what we used to do. <laughs> <laughs> hard see i I didn't really drink in high school but i mean after i went to college as you know it it went all downhill from there but (laughs) um still i mean i was kind of an outlier i mean it wasn't necessarily that most of the kids drank but a lot of them did and then you once you get up to drinking age, you know, every, it goes up exponentially. Everyone, mm-hmm. everyone drinks mostly. Well, and the and funny, the not funny, that everyone's an alcoholic, but no, uh, in the small towns, it's a party atmosphere. It's drink, and it's you're going to drink with me. You're not going to bed. Yeah. Oh, you're oh, out yeah. of money. I'm buying you a drink. Yep. And I had there. I mean, that was many, many friends where it was like you drank, 
and you drank until the sun up type thing. Yep. <laughs> that's what you did. You just, that's just what it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other funny part, considering the ratio of bars to people, the I don't know if you get this, but I mean, when you describe a town like a small town in rural Minnesota, it's, well, you know, it had no stoplight, but it had you know, two bars and a church. Or it had three churches and two bars type thing. Mm-hmm. You're always describing the amount of bars and the amount of churches within the small-ass town. I've always <laughs> described it that way. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Raymond, it was, there was about four churches and there was a bar. <laughs> no stoplights. <laughs> People are like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> well, it's got to have a bar. Yeah, got to have a bar. All that forced religion. There's a, a town not too far away from my hometown called Boyd population <laughs> 210 and it has a bar across the street from a strip club <laughs> strip club is called dangerous curves yeah. and this is in a town 200. of 210 people you need some money in that town <laughs> <laughs> now some of the women that they get would be from like the twin cities like they come out and do shows and maybe dangerous or other strip clubs that they're really, that was like the closest one to our town, except for there was another shit town that was cosmos is what oh, yeah. population 500. Yeah. That's what I go through when I go back to the parents. Oh yeah. <laughs> go Me through too. cosmos every time. Uh, they had a strip club for a while. I got shut down like twice or three times for like <laughs> prostitution. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not there anymore, but. I guess what would the other? I mean, St. Cloud has a strip club outside of it, but that's yeah, that's that's like big. an hour and a half northeast. And it's also got a big. It's got second biggest university in the state. Yeah, so you can't even compare it. The town's <laughs> like ninety thousand people. Yeah, yeah. So it's a bigger town. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, there was like only one strip club in the whole area, and it was a town of fucking two hundred ten people. Which, considering it, is very funny that like. That got stood up, <laughs> and two hundred people. It's been there since I was fucking ta- born. It's still around. <laughs> it's yeah. still kicking. So somebody <laughs> cornered the market. <laughs> but also the fact that that's the thriving business in the area, it does speak to kind of the culture out there. Whether people want to admit it or not, it's you know that's it is what it is. And yeah, like even up in college, like I was friends with a lot of people from my hometown. Or neighboring towns like yours. Mm-hmm. I met you in college. I didn't know you growing up. Yeah. And other friends from like Lagaparl, which is another area by mine. Yeah. Um, another big <laughs> drinking area. But yeah, you drink until every everyone's passed out or the sun's up or both. Yep. And if it was like we're going out to the bars and someone's like, I don't have any money. Well, guess who's got a credit card in my block? You know, my fucking pocket. <laughs> yeah. Guess who's putting money on the credit card? Well, shit. Even the, you, you, if you walked in with a hundred dollar bill, you could drink for two people with the cost of beers and rail drinks. Mm-hmm. Like if you compare it to any big city, I mean, a, you get a, a rail drink for a buck fifty, two dollars. Mm. I remember. A beer specials. If you if it was if it was like a Friday Saturday special night, you get a beer of two bucks. Yeah. Uh there's like quarter beer nights or high ho silver, which was you pay nine dollars at the door. Yeah. And after you get in for two hours, 
You give them any silver coin, you get a drink. So yep. a nickel will get you a rail drink or a beer yep. for two hours, and you get two at a time, as many as you can drink. Yep. But yeah, so yeah, we can relate to the heavy drinking and the you're not going to quit drinking either because <laughs> I'm drinking and we're having a good time here. And I don't want to go back to work tomorrow or the next day or on Monday. People that so we're gonna don't fucking party. pressure other people to stay up with them all night bother me. <laughs> <laughs> I have a real, you know, I hold, there's a cold place in hell for those people. <laughs> you just need to stay up. We're just shooting the shit. You want to go to bed? Playing a little cards. Two? Bars <laughs> just closed. That means it. we got at least four more hours to go here. I remember one party in college. I broke a window because I was so excited that I looked at my phone and it was only one thirty, And I knew there was like another four or five hours of partying to be done. I looked at my phone. I go, it's only one thirty. Woo! And I like went to like tap the window and it just fucking shattered at my friend's house. And they go, you're going home. You're kicked They out. didn't care. I did not have to pay for it. Then again, they already had two broken windows. I added a third with that one. The kicker with that. Uh, it was like the shit party house. Like in the curfew days, high school, when you're out partying, it was like, what's curfew? Midnight. All right. Well, we got to hit it hard till like 1130. And then you sober up for a good 20. And then you could <laughs> get 20. <laughs> it wasn't like I probably shouldn't. It was more like, no, you just got to you just got to quit like 30 minutes beforehand. And then you can drive home. <laughs> uh a more positive note, I would say the other relatable thing in it is, like that guy described, he's like, it's the greatest greatest town in Australia. Uh, Minnesotans, I'd say, have a pride in Minnesota, too. That's small town. Um, I actually feel it more in small town than in the city. Um, kind of just a pridefulness in the state, kind of who we are. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of maybe that intense friendliness you were talking about before too so that was relatable too kind of people are also protective of places unknown people and shit like that you see that a lot i would say around here Mm -hmm. but far more i i have a buddy who travels to like rural areas throughout the country and stuff like that and i tell him and he didn't grow up in a small town and i say you probably get a better feel for the state in a small town than in the big city in my opinion, what that actual state is about. Yeah. I mean, I, I would say that about Minnesota or most big states. You even go along voting lines. Mm-hmm. You know, people talk about, well, you know, like for the last election, you know, Hillary won the popular vote by like almost three million votes. Mm-hmm. People are like, oh, that's a, that's a big number. And she won by fucking three million votes. She lost the election. And you look at like the Electoral College map or just... If you break it down by county or district, they'll show a map of the U.S. and it'll be almost entirely red. Mm-hmm. The only blue parts are the major, major cities, city. and that's it. Look at Minnesota. <laughs> even blue states. We're in Minnesota is one of the bluest states in the country. It hasn't gone Republican since Nixon. Yeah. In '84 was '84 the Reagan sweep. Uh, yeah, it was 84. I think it was the Reagan re-election. He won every state in the whole fucking country except for Minnesota. Yeah. 
we had the Democratic challenger at the time, Walter Mondale, which maybe we were being a little homers. We're biased. Biased. <laughs> He's Minnesota. But it Boy. was still it was still liberal, and we still we haven't fucking voted it since. But if voted you, Republican. But if you look at a map of counties this past election, if you if you Google red and blue counties in the 2016 election in Minnesota, far more red. Mm-hmm. County-wise, far more red. It's Minneapolis-St. Paul that drives all of it because that's where most of the population is. Mm-hmm. All the districts around the areas where Alex and I are from, red. they were all 75% Trump. Red. 75. Yeah. <laughs> overwhelmingly <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Trump. Yeah. It's fascinating if you think of it. People don't realize that. That's the one thing that people who I meet in the city who have never lived outside of this city, outside of a major city, I feel like they just don't get. And they'll never totally understand is how it is in a smaller town and how the actual feel of it is. Mm -hmm. Because I think cities can give a fake idea of what that state is or the views of that state and all types of shit. Especially in Minnesota, it's not just like a farmer thing. Like, oh, all the farmers are Republican. Absolutely not. The the Democrats, there's a, it's called the DFL party in Minnesota. It's the Democrat Farmer Labor Party. Yeah. And that is mostly made up of farmers and unions. And there's a lot of farmer Democrats. Like there's my hometown, there's, there's Democrats. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's all Trump. We said it's mostly Trump, like voters, but mm-hmm. it's also, it's people who voted for one, yep. which yeah, is also true. Less than was about half the pop voting population. And then there's still like a lot of the farmers. Some of them are Democrat. Yeah, they're part of the DFL. Yeah. So it's not just like a backwoods like, oh, they're all country and a Republican out there. Mm-hmm. It's no, it's just like if you don't live in a major city, your district's voting Republican. Right. <laughs> this is how it is. Uh, it's interesting to connect to the movie too because I think it was I don't know if it was the initial screening or the 2009 screening of Wake and Fright uh, I think it was the initial one that uh, Gary Bond I think it was Gary Bond during the movie it was uh, Jack Thompson I think of Jack Thompson I think I know where you're going it was Jack but Thompson but there, there was somebody in the audience or I think there was a handful of people who were offended who were Australian saying that ain't us type thing like that that's bullshit and if it was Jack Thompson uh, he stood up and he goes that is us mate type thing where he was sit like down. yeah he's like <laughs> sit down like and it's true it's like maybe it's not the prettiest thing in the world but it is maybe an accurate portrayal and based off Kenneth Cook's shit and everything he talked about and his wife confirmed and the director reconfirmed by going himself, that might be an accurate portrayal. Now, maybe of just that area, of course, but you can't neglect that and act like it doesn't exist. <laughs> and, like, the biggest film representation in Minnesota is the movie Fargo. Yeah. Yes, Fargo is a town on the very eastern <laughs> part of North Dakota, which borders yeah. Minnesota. But only about 2% of the movie takes place in Fargo. Everything takes place in Minnesota. It was all filmed in Minnesota, except for, like, one scene. Yeah. And it takes place with all Minnesota characters. And so you get the, oh, yeah, you betcha. And oh, you betcha, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you, get all the, you get all the Minnesota, you know, stereotypes. Yeah. Of how we talk and how we act. And, you know, like, I remember watching Fargo in the 90s like on tv for the first time like late 90s with my mm-hmm. mom and i remember 
It gets done, and she's like, oh, I didn't like that. She's like, we don't talk like that and whatnot. And, yeah, it's somewhat of a, it's a caricature. And for people who don't know, the Coen brothers are from Minnesota. Yeah. They're from the St. Twin Lewis Cities Park. area, but they grew up in Minnesota. And it's like, yes, we don't all talk like that, but I know plenty of people who I've heard that sound just like that, especially Absolutely. the Fargo takes place in the 80s. Mm-hmm. I was born in 86, um, small town. You came there. Wait, so you were born in 88, so you came about 96. Yep. So mid-90s. Yep. In small towns, there's plenty of people you'll hear that will sound like that. Mm-hmm. I have friends that I'm like, that's a Minnesota accent. I'm sure there's things that I say. They're like, oh, he kind of has like a – he just kind of said that one with a long O sound or – it's not even necessarily long O. It's almost like we add letters or syllables. Like if somebody says the word coach, like uh, coach benched me or something like that. We don't say coach. We say like coach. 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 <laughs> it's like a C. Because coach is spelled C-O-A-C-H. But it's almost like we put like a C-O-U in it, but not a couch. But it's like coach. Or like a W, like coach. Which like we add, almost add a half a syllable, and that's what kind of leads to like the long O type of thing. Couch, couch, C O R. You going no. to the mall later? <laughs> Keep smelling, Mister C O U. No. <laughs> Are you going to the mall? That's what I'm asking. But to a certain extent, Fargo is a decent representation. Yeah, I mean, pretty much everyone in the movie is over-the-top Minnesota accent. But there are plenty of people in Minnesota who have that accent. Less so now, Yeah. but especially in the mid-90s or when it takes place in the late 80s, there is plenty of people like that. Uh, the quintessential scene in Fargo that is, always hits home is when the one police officer goes to the small town because they're reporting <laughs> because he reports uh Steve Buscemi asking if there's any prostitutes in town and that conversation in that small town and their big hooded jackets and the grain elevator in the back and yeah it looks like it's in Raymond it is fucking <laughs> but also the way the conversation happens oh yeah he said that oh yeah and I said oh, I don't know about that 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 is that happens. That is that that is a very accurate portrayal of small towns. Not all, but many, many, I would say. There ain't nothing wrong with that. That's the other thing. Well, that don't sound like too good a deal for him then. Yeah. <laughs> that guy. Yes. <laughs> oh, that don't sound like too good a deal for him then. Oh no. <laughs> I always feel bad for the kids the older I got because if you ever got dragged with your parent or a family member to go do something at one of their friends' households, there's always long conversations like that. And you're like, can we can we go? I don't know if you experienced it. <laughs> I used to help out on farms a lot with my aunt. So I would leave, and it would just be me and her, and we would go to, like, fucking small towns to pick up hay. But then there had to be, like, they have to have a conversation that – takes two hours long and i'm like well, are we done i used to help out at auctions because my uncle oh, yeah. was an auctioneer and i would go with now the auction's done 
but we would sit there and talk to the property owner for fucking ever. And I'm like, <laughs> we got like two hour drive back home. Can we get out of here? <laughs> like, <laughs> and it's like we've talked about, we've always quoted that workaholics speech. Yeah. Where two of the workaholics <laughs> guys so quit for like an episode. <laughs> and they're bringing these two old guys. It's Clint Howard and some old guy yeah. to replace him. And he starts talking about a church softball league. He's like, my grandson plays for the church softball league. And the softball league is actually run by Lutherans. Because, <laughs> like, in that area, like, there's, you know, there's Catholics and there's Lutherans. Yeah. And there's Reform. Presbyterians yeah. and Reform. things like that. And it's like. The denominations really, I mean, all the denominations besides Catholic or Catholicism are pretty different yeah. from Catholicism, or at least a little bit. But all the other ones are at least kind of similar. I went to a Lutheran ways. church, and Catholic friends would describe us as lazy Catholics. <laughs> <laughs> they go, you're just kind of lazy Catholic. You do the stuff you want to, not all of it. But it's like people, like especially older people, would describe other people in like uh, what their denomination is or if they're talking about the history of the area they're like oh it was settled by the lutherans when they came here and da 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 you're like oh my god we have to keep hearing about the fucking lutherans <laughs> <laughs> just going on and on about the lutherans you can just say christians they're all they're all christians <laughs> But you see, the Lutherans are different from the Presbyterians. The Presbyterians settled over in this county, and then the Lutherans were, they're all fucking Christians, and we're all Minnesotans, and who gives a fuck? <laughs> but it's like, you know, they get into these long, drawn-out conversations, and long. that's kind of like the, I don't want to say the art, but almost like the art of the art of the language. Yeah. Or a good represent, representation. That's why you and I both... Oh, I'm going crazy out there by the lake. Where can a guy get some action? I don't know about that kind of thing. And <laughs> it's like we heard that shit growing up. It's like, God, I feel like they stole that from something I remember. I feel like somebody was videotaping a boring day in my life. Because <laughs> it's so funny to us because it hits, it hits close to home. Yeah. It's funny to other people because they they just hear a funny voice and they're like, yeah, it sounds right. so weird and small townish and midwestern and yeah, or like Wisconsin, like oh crap, oh crap, <laughs> like there's the Family Guy bit with the oh crap, uh, a woman orgasming, oh crap, a woman from Wisconsin orgasming, <laughs> oh crap, oh crap, oh crap, oh crap, <laughs> <laughs> and it's like you know I got the R's and like almost like down by Chicago. You know, the accent kind of s switches a little bit. Wisconsin and Minnesota are pretty similar, especially along the border. Yeah. Um, gets down to Chicago, it's a little more different than my Chicago. Yeah. It's a little different down there. Because I think it had, like, the Italian influence, mob influence from back in the day. Well, all Italians weren't in the mob, just so you know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but I didn't want to say that everyone in Chicago was a mobster. So you're just saying all Italians in Chicago are monsters. Well, I'd say <laughs> that's what you were saying. Well, I'd say there's more Italians there because, like, in the mob, in Minnesota, there's a lot more Scandinavian settlers. Yeah, the demographics are switched. For us, 
There aren't a lot of Scandinavians in Chicago. Let's put it that way. You're right. What does the mob have to do with this? You said mob. (laughs) (laughs) That's who Chicago was known for back in the day. Capone made it what it was. Right. It's a mob and he was Italian. I could say the same thing about New York. Because of the Italian influence. Because of the mob. (laughs) (laughs) I think I said mob first, didn't I? No. No, you said Italian influence (laughs) because of the mob. (laughs) Not because of the mob. And then you said every Italian (laughs) is a mobster that can't be trusted. (laughs) I heard it. I fucking heard it. (laughs) Go get me another Foster's. All right. Well, I think we've went on like a half hour long tangent about Minnesota. Yeah. But at least that's how it, you kind of get a picture of how it relates. Mm-hmm. How at least how we can relate to the Yaba in a little way. Yes. It's not, it doesn't get that as hot as the Yaba. The Yaba. Although humidity here is fucking like the highest you've ever seen in your life. It's we pretty gross. Almost 12,000 lakes. There's a lot of water around. Mm-hmm. We have a, the biggest river in the fucking continent yep. running through here that starts here. Yep. There's a lot of water, a lot of moisture, humid as fuck. Yep. I mean, some t- it's rare. Like, it probably gets up to 100 maybe once a summer. It's like a rare thing if it gets up to 100. Once in a while, there's a heat wave, and it's like, oh, it's 100 for a couple of days maybe. But usually the hot days are, you know, mid to late 90s. Mm-hmm. But if it's, oh, the humidity is just unbearable. Yeah. You can compare it to 20 degrees hotter if it's dry. Yeah. It's very Yaba Lake. <laughs> <laughs> it can be. Not, not that distressing, but but yes, isolated, and uh, I really identify with the camaraderie mm-hmm. and the drinking. <laughs> yep. But also the gambling. That was another thing. Let's get into the two-up, because we just heard, we heard the clip. He just got into town. Yep. He walks into the bar, and actually, I got to bring up to Chips Rafferty. So I don't know if I mentioned it earlier. I was trying to fit it in, but he is from Broken Hill. Mm-hmm. Chips Rafferty is one of kind of like the most famous like Australian actors. Yep. Like the past, you know, half century, <laughs> century. Yeah. Uh, he's kind of like, I've heard comparisons to like, he's like the Australian Gary Cooper or... Uh, Maybe not quite like a John Wayne, but something similar. Yeah. Like, he was in everything. Um, a lot of Westerns. He he was in a few, like, American Westerns, and uh, he would appear in, like, British commercials, like, immigrate to Australia and shit like that. So he's, like, a hero to them. Um, I loved him in here. This was his last film. Yep. He died shortly after. Before the film's release. And he's got one of the best names I've ever heard of. Mm-hmm. Chips Rafferty. Yeah, that's a great name. Fucking baller name. Also, want to point out Jack uh, Thompson. We mentioned him earlier. He's one of the guys interviewed in that uh, projection booth episode. Yep. Because he's also <clears throat> one of the more famous Australian actors of the past, you know, forty years. This was like his second movie. Yeah, it was kind of his big breakout movie at the mm-hmm. time. And he's been in a lot of American stuff. Over the past couple of decades. Good and bad and what have you. He was in The Great Gatsby. Leo. Leo. Mm-hmm. 
Let's see here. Broken Arrow. Yeah. Midnight John Woo flick. I don't know how good Broken Arrow is. I remember seeing the cover when I was a kid in premiere video. Well, it's you know, it's, <laughs> it's not great, but I, I've watched it every once Still in a while. Still John Travolta. It's John Woo flick. Uh, Christian Slater, dude. Excess Baggage. Alicia Silverstone's movie, I think, after Clueless. <laughs> Benicio Del Toro. That everybody went, nope. she only could do Clueless. <laughs> Here he goes, we're done. Yeah. Well, The Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. Clint Eastwood joint. Yeah. Original Sin. Um, but obviously, yes, a lot of Australian stuff. Star Wars, episode two. Attack of those clones. Leatherheads. Did you ever watch Leatherheads from 2008? No, but it's about Duluth football team. Mm-hmm. Uh, George Clooney. John Krasinski. Yep. It was, I remember why. I, I saw it. We're such bad on. Minnesotans. Oh, I, oh, I guess you do, You just said you've seen it. Yeah, I saw it. So I'm the bad It was Minnesotan. all right. Um, and then he was actually in uh, Light Between the Oceans, which came out huh? last year. Fassbender flick. Yeah, so I want to make sure and point those two out. Because uh, Gary Bond is more of a theater actor. And I guess after Wake and Fright, he kind of stuck to TV productions or TV mm-hmm. movies and like maybe some more theater. But uh, And then Donald Pleasance... You know, you can't see enough about Donald Pleasance. Fucking World War II prisoner of war, Donald Pleasance. <laughs> guy's a badass. Yeah. He's, he's my favorite. Sa- he's Sam Loomis. Sam Loomis. Right. He's my favorite Blofeld yeah. from He Only Lived Twice. And, uh, yeah, Sam Loomis. Uh, he, movies. I, didn't, I haven't seen it, but you have Escape from New York. He's the yep. president. He's the president. Yep. He's the man. Uh, and then Sylvia Kay, who plays Jeanette in this um she mostly did tv but she was actually married to ted kotcheff at the time i don't know if she did all the way through but at the time she's married to the director yeah he talked about in the interview how everyone was like because there's that shot of like uh donald pleasance kind of on top of like pouring liquor and then yep. like having sex with yep. her and stuff and like that montage and was like what are you doing you're showing your wife like you know getting pounded up there <laughs> like what, what are you doing you know that's crazy so you're gonna put her through that and then like she's fine with it i'm fine with it i don't give a fuck they're not having sex <laughs> it's it's acting <laughs> but let's get to two up because he talks to chips he meets chips rafferty yep. in the in the rsl which is return servicemen league or uh yep. league club Yep. Which is like a VFW for U.S. people. <laughs> Looks like my neighbor is starting to sing a little bit. <laughs> Bring him in the beats. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, the uh, lest we forget. That's still something that happens to this day. Australians, from what I've read and what I've known over the years, that they're very proud of their military record. They're pretty much they they're they get involved in every war. Mm-hmm. They're always helping out the U.S. Big U.S. allies. Yeah, they're supporters. always like every <laughs> every time we go to the fucking Middle East, they're there with us. Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> there's a fight going on, we want in. <laughs> We're fucking bored in the Yaba. We need to get involved. But yeah, they've always been great allies. Uh, um, a very proud history of the World Wars, uh, Gallipoli. The film Gallipoli with Mel Gibson talks about that battle of Gallipoli. It was kind of a slaughter. The movie kind of inaccurately portrays the British counterparts. 
because they kind of worked with the British at this battle in World, World War One, mm-hmm. and it praised them as like you know kind of like he, uh, you know, send the Aussies in first, you know, let them get slaughtered. That like they kind of portray him like that a little bit when it was that wasn't accurate, like it wasn't like that. Mm-hmm. But regardless, um, yeah, they have a very very proud of their military record, and as well they should be. Yep. They don't lose. (laughs) (laughs) They don't fucking lose. (laughs) And, uh, yes, we have something similar called the VFW, Veterans of Foreign Wars, BARS. Mm -hmm. And the American Legion is another organization for veterans. Some of them you have to be, like, a member or to be with a member to drink in. Yep. I don't know how it works in the RSLs in Australia. But, um, yeah, I don't think they have, I mean... I've been in plenty of VFWs and whatnot. We don't have a, a lest we forget moment where the lights dim and we stand up and we have a moment of silence and maybe say a, a prayer, like a, a song, you mm-hmm. know, a, a speech or whatever. But, um, you know, there's a lot of flags and, you know, the POW flag and MIA mm-hmm. and all that stuff. They have a whole, I mean, organizational chart too. I mean, there's president to the VFW and different chapters. Like my grandpa and grandma were president vice president i think she was but my grandpa for sure was of the wilmer vfw for a long time Mm. so the joneses they rolled into the vfw (laughs) and got (laughs) shit-faced i remember drinking kitty cocktails watching pull tabs and pool oh yeah just getting hammed gambling (laughs) yeah i'm drinking (laughs) just like the rsls yeah so chips rafferty's a friendly bloke um and he likes a good sense of humor from uh, Gary Bond, and he introduces him to Two Up, which is the funny thing is uh, we didn't mention it, but right when um, John Grant walks into the bar, like Matt, we're closed. So I think the sign says what closed at like six thirty, seven thirty, or something like that. Six thirty, and it was like ten thirty or eleven <laughs> or something like that. Yeah, and they're uh, everyone's drinking because yeah. that was just like that was the rule, but nobody followed it. It kind of goes back to how a broken hill was uh, with like the unwritten regulations between the cops and the people it was like yeah they break the law all the time but as long as the cops are cool with it they don't really give a shit yeah type thing so we finally get introduced to two up which is my favorite thing that i've never done <laughs> <laughs> the whole time watching the movie the first time I was like god i want to go flip coins and bet money on it in australia right now yeah. shit faced so somebody has there's a spinner in the middle of an almost like an arena it's not an arena it's just like uh there's some maybe some benches or like some bleachers set up because there's like a hundred people in there at least mm-hmm. and just like an open floor mm-hmm. that people are surrounding it's like a circle yeah where there's a, a guy who has a kip is what it's called it's like a little piece of wood and looks like a tongue depressor mm-hmm. you put two pennies on there or coins or australian equivalent whatever you want to call it mm-hmm. and there's heads and on the other side is x's tails and the spinner flips it and he always bets on heads Mm -hmm. apparently that's just how it goes if you're the one who's flipping you're betting on heads yeah and it has to land both of them on heads for you to win and both on tails to lose yeah it's one head one tails you flip again yeah it's got to be over your head Mm -hmm. flip it up above your head i believe 
Because yep. in the movie, he he just kind of tosses it. It doesn't go up. It just kind of falls almost. And they make him reflip. So the flipper has to come up with a certain amount of money to cover his end, yep. which I think is usually, what, 400 to, uh, If you want to spin know. or flip. Yeah, something like that. And then once that's covered, everyone else just does side bets. You just take tails or heads or whoever you want. There's plenty of people there. You just do side bets. And what I loved about it is it was like very, very organized chaos. Right. Because there's just money everywhere. Yeah. And nobody's stealing. Nobody's getting into fights. Nope. Everybody, Everyone's friendly. Whoever wins, that person rolls up, grabs their money, and just kind of continues. There isn't any for as like aggressive and fist fighting and yeah. the hunting and all the aggressive manly shit that goes on. Everybody is very ethical during two up. <laughs> <laughs> and John Grant is like, you know, that's what that's kind of what he brings up. And Chip Strafferty is always oh, hardly ever a fight. You know, uh, I think I've written down here. He goes, it's the biggest two up game in Australia. Spinner's the bloke with the kip. Each man knows what's coming to him. He just goes and gets it. <laughs> and it's very simple. It's like, oh, I win. Oh, I'll just pick my money. I mm-hmm. lose. Well, I just don't get it this time. There are some of the cooler shots during the movie of two up from above. There's a really cool shot from above. Uh, I've seen still images online used mm-hmm. in articles and stuff like that. Everybody sitting around and looking up as the coins go up and shit like that. It's a pretty cool scene. Yeah, as John Grant would say, seems like a simple, simple little game because yeah. he's he's kind of a pompous Brit. Um, he's very he thinks very highly of himself and yeah. he thinks he's better than everyone on yeah. everyone else. And so you get that vibe and. I was just so excited watching it because I said, like like I said, everyone's getting along, but they're just fucking flipping coins, right? Mm. But, um, fuck, what was I going to say now? Fucking Fosters. Give me some more. <laughs> uh, the one thing in here was the money that they used during 2UP. So the money that they had produced, it was fake money, but a lot of the extras are actual townspeople of Broken Hill. Mm-hmm. Uh, nearby communities that they're actually using and they're giving them money to use during two up. But the money was so real looking that after I think like the first day of shooting or something like that, there was so much of it missing because the townspeople are actually pocketing the money and then leaving and going trying to spend it in other places because of, and they were successful in some instances. And I think in other instances they got busted and they got in trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, to there the point where they had to start, yeah, they had to start making the money look m- more fake, so people quit fucking stealing the money. It wasn't like live, to live and die in L.A. Yeah, the director <laughs> could just fucking spend counterfeit money you printed on the movie. No, ah, just fucking hilarious. <laughs> but yeah, I was sitting in the theater, just like I just want to flip coins and bet on it. Is that so hard? Well, the simplicity of it too speaks to the entertainment in the town, where it's yeah. like that's the entertainment. I never say if the game was created there or I, you know, I don't know if two up is known outside of the U S more broadly or something, but it's just flipping coins. That's all it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's so simple and it just kind of adds to the fucking <laughs> like Vegas vacation when yeah. card goes into the cheap casino and he goes to pick a number. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Three, seven. <laughs> ah, shit. <laughs> It's a little more honest than that, but 
anyways, yeah, I was just captivated by it. And I'm like, I'm sitting on the edge of my seat watching a scene that they're just fucking flipping coins. And the reason that is, is because they do such a good job of creating tension with it. When everyone's about to, to flip, it just gets deathly silent. You can hear a pin drop. Nobody's yeah. saying a fucking thing. And then when the coin lands, and if it's either all heads or tails, it just, Arr! you know, not like yelling angrily, just yeah. like, oh, I won. I'm picking up my money. Or, yeah. ah, shit. You know, shucks. Yeah. Rats. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> <All> rats. <laughs> so, yeah. After that scene, I was just, there was no turning back for me. I was in. Yeah. <laughs> I was not going to be walking out during a kangaroo hunt. <laughs> see if I had any more notes here. Oh, we should also mention that uh, John Grant says he's a bondage slave of the education department. Yeah. And the reason he's teaching it to Bunda, he said he's a British you know, immigrant, he's a teacher. Well, apparently in Australia at the time, you had to pay $1,000 or... You had to go teach wherever the hell they sent you for like two years or a certain period of time. Mm-hmm. Unless you came up with a thousand dollars. So that's so he's teaching in Tabunda. He's probably taught there for about a year. Yep. Maybe a little over. It's Christmas break. So maybe a year and a half. And he wants to get out of there. So he starts playing two up and all of a sudden he won fucking four hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. He had like some other cash on him. He has, a, he has a little bit of cash on him. He has his paycheck. And use a little bit of cash to get, you know, $400. And he goes home, and he is just spent with himself. <laughs> he is so proud of himself. And then he goes back. He gets greedy. Yeah. yeah. He loses it all. Even loses his paycheck. Yep. So now he's fucking outski of the money. Yep. Um, I got a clip here from uh, right before he starts betting. He's talking, he meets Donald Pleasance while he's eating a steak. Donald Pleasance is taking, making, or keeping track of all the results. And he's pretty tuned up. Yeah. <laughs> but people can, uh, so they could ask him, like, what are the odds tonight? You know, what's it? And he goes, two to one, you know, shooters or spinners. What does he call it? It's it's a spinner's night. It's two to one on heads. Mm-hmm. So people can kind of get the odds from him. So they walk in there, then they'll bet accordingly to what's usually been going on. But. <laughs> Here's uh, Dal Pleasance being a little philosophical, talking about the people of Bundanyaba. All the little devils are proud of hell. Do you mean you don't think the Yaba is the greatest little place on earth? Could be worse. How? say that? Say what? What about them being proud of hell? Discontent is a luxury of the well-to-do. You gotta live here, and you might as well like it. Why don't you like Crawford? Job? 
the touch of his hairy hand vanished. I'm as forward of the aggressive hospitality, the arrogance of stupid people who insist you should be as stupid as they are. It's death to farm out here. It's worse than death in the mines. Do you want them to sing opera as well? And what do you do? I drink. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it really speaks to the type of people that live there. Hardworking people that they don't have a luxury of certain things in life. Mm-hmm. And I love the quote, discontent is the, is a luxury of the well-to-do. If you're going to live here, you might as well like it. That's just how people cope with that. Yeah. Like, like we said earlier, why do we drink in small towns? That's all there is to do. Yep. True. Even if you're, I mean, if you're not of age and you're still drinking, which all the you know kids do, um, yeah, you can't go to the bars. You can, there's might be some places that have a movie theater that has like a late show. Maybe that gets done 1130. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do? Just drive around. That That's a popular thing to do. At least it used to be. Yeah. Driving I'm, around cruising. I have to imagine still not, is. Not like Al Pacino cruising. <laughs> I'm talking about regular cruising. Or as we used to call it, dragging Main Street. Go drag Main. <laughs> Even though we wouldn't drag race, it was called dragging Main Street. Because it was a one-way. You could bust a loop. You go bust. This is what we called it, Monty. Bust the loop. Bust a loop in Monty. You go around. You could you could do the big loop or the small loop. And the the small loop was, is down Main Street and then take a left and you go behind Main Street and come back and then you just keep doing it. Or you could do the bigger one, which was, you'd go down Main Street and then you'd come back and you'd go down like past the movie theater and then you'd come back around and then come back. Yeah. <laughs> Dragon Maine. Dragon Maine. Well, we probably had our own route. We used to cruise around all the time. We just go out in the country and then we come back into town and then right, you just kind of poke around and you stop off at the convenience store and Yeah, I mean if you're sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, you can't That's about drink. All there is to do. Nothing's open for you. No. So you can be at a friend's house. Mm-hmm. Which I'm guessing their parents are most likely home. Yeah. If they're not home, they're having a party. So you're drinking anyways. <laughs> or you're out driving around drinking. Yep. Or what I was doing, I was, you know, fucking around with buddies of mine that didn't really drink. We're just getting into shenanigans. Yep. Just, we'd do things that would, we would try and orchestrate things or situations where we would get the cops called on us for not doing anything illegal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we like to try and waste the cops' time because there were so many of them in my small town. Because in my town, we had the, the, the town cops, the city cops. Yep. Our town was also the county seat. So we had the county, the sheriff, you know, the, the county cops were based there. And the state patrol had an office in our town. So we had three fucking police organizations based out of our little fucking town I forget when one that. of them the the city cops are enough to police the town so you got another two that are operated in and out of there yeah and it's like jesus that's a lot of fucking cops <laughs> 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 those are small town 
And they would do little small, you know, small cop type things, maybe bend the rules a little bit mm-hmm. uh, or break them quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> and so we, you know, in the small towns, if you do anything, you get a ticket. You do anything illegal, you get arrested. It is in the paper. It is in the public town paper. Oh yeah, for everyone to read. Yep. You get Which a speeding everybody ticket. Everybody does read. Speeding ticket, DWI. Everybody knows everybody. Beat your yeah. wife. <laughs> Police reports. Yep. They are all in the paper. You can read all about it. Yep. <laughs> so we would try to make the paper every week. So town <laughs> gossip. <laughs> Back to the yaba, John Grants. Lost all his money, goes to bed, apparently pretty depressed, and then wakes up in the buff. Nice ass on that guy. John Grant? <laughs> tight ass. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I'm sure, I mean, if I was there, I'd probably just sleep. I'd, I'd probably walk around my whole house naked. Well, it's it so hot. Fucking hot. <laughs> Sin. <laughs> Jesus. Donald Pleasance was like, he put on that shirt because he had company, probably. <laughs> He's like, I guess I'll wear this old musty shirt that's been crumpled up in a ball. Because the, the first time that John Grant stays over at Pleasance's, it's, uh, he just has pants on and no shirt. So he switches well, the second time around. He's progressing to something very serious here, I feel like. <laughs> <laughs> um, to regret. So John Grant, he tries to go to like the work office. Isn't open on Saturdays. You know it's not open on Sundays. So he goes back to the bar. He has like one dollar, pretty much. Mm-hmm. He buys one beer. He's in rough shape too. <laughs> Very rough shape. And then uh, he comes across another patron of the bar. I have a clip there. Kind of explains the friendliness of the town and the forced. Is forced friendliness? Yeah. Aggressive. Aggressive friendliness. That we, you and I are somewhat accustomed to. Yep. Hot. Hot. New to the Yabba? New to the Yabba. Like your place? No, I think it's bloody awful. You don't like the yabba? No. Will you have a drink? No, I'm toying with this one, thanks. Well, drink it down or buy another. Look, I'm flat broke and I can't afford to drink. What's that going to do with that man? I said I'd buy you a drink. You don't have to buy me one. Now drink it down. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> now sit down and drink your fucking beer. Now drink it down. <laughs> Everybody's like, just tip it back. Just tip it back. <laughs> he's drinking the little middies. And he has the, don't forget the tomato juice. Yeah. <laughs> he's drinking his, uh, what do you call that? Which is besides just beer with tomato juice. Isn't there uh, like a name for it? Mulata... Mulata, I'm not going to work here anymore. Something lotto. Michelada? Michelada? He's making up I don't know. No, no, no. I Googled it. It's got its own Wikipedia page. (laughs) It's called a, let's see, Spanish word, Michelada. It is a Mexican cerveza preparada 
made with beer, lime juice, and assorted sauces, spices, and peppers. So I guess not completely, but that's what popped up. So Tim Hines. Clamato juice. That's what I was thinking of. Ah, what's that? Uh, Something else that we don't need. Yeah, it says tomato or Clamato juice. So it's got to be somewhat similar to tomato juice. Okay. Good thing we got that figured out. (laughs) Um, So Tim Hines, friendly fella, just trying to buy people booze. And make them chug the previous ones (laughs) a bit much. Well, not as much as Chips Rafferty. No, right. But he's got the authority. (laughs) Not some fucking bozer just sitting at the bar. (laughs) Drink it down. (laughs) I guess it's the only way I'm going to get another beer. But Well, then it cuts to them. They're just seem like old pals. Yeah. They're playing bumper pool. You ever played bumper pool? Never played bumper pool. The golf course in my own town, like growing up, when I'd be in there and like to buy the racquetball courts, the men's clubhouse area. They had a bumper pool table. Yeah. I never knew, like, the rules. I was going to say. So I just bum yeah. around on it. Ours was a uh, circular one. Hmm. So I don't know if that was. They have, like, different dimensions in different countries. But, yeah, bumper pool. It, I think it's a little funner than it looks. Like, it's. More fun like than sneak, it looks? Yeah. Like, a sneaky, fun game. It looks pretty fun. I won't lie. But you never see it anywhere. No, I think maybe that's why it looks. Like, it's more fun than it actually is. I feel like I'd be disappointed. The novelty? Yeah, I feel like I'd be disappointed. I'd be like, oh, this is it. (laughs) And you don't know the rules, so you can't even tell me. Well, we can look them up. (laughs) We live in an age of cell phones. (laughs) But uh, Tim invites him back to his place. You know, where's he going to go? He's got no money. You know, just come drink with us. I will say it's the upside to the very aggressive, friendly person. Like, come, you can just come hang out at my place, crash on the couch, don't even know where the fuck he is. You got a free beer out of him, and you're going to get many free beers, because you know his house is loaded with them. Mm-hmm. So, I would say that's an upside. Definitely. And he got his, uh, his daughter, servant, <laughs> Jeanette. Dinner ready, Jeanette! It's <laughs> a couple of beers. She's like, dinner's ready. Well, we're real, gonna have an aperitif. <laughs> she looks real happy to be in that house the entire yeah. time. Like most of the women, I mean, it's there's few of them, and they're pretty much just under the men's whims. Mm-hmm. Kind of have to. I mean, Jeanette is, as you find out, everyone thinks of her as the town slut, basically. Yeah, you kind of yeah. She's given everyone a everyone a toss. Is that how they phrase it? A tumble. Something. She's giving everyone a tumble to. I think that's how Donald Pleasance phrases it. Mm-hmm. But you tell she's kind of just looking for a way out mm-hmm. or to even interact with someone who's from the outside. Yeah. She seems very standoffish at first with John Grant. He's kind of sneaking around the house like, ooh, free cigarettes. And then he's all embarrassed that he took one. Yeah. Even though they're just giving him free beer and food and housing. Well, and she drops that ashtray on the table for him to ash in. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you fucking rude guest. Where are you going to ash? On the couch? <laughs> so the Dick and Joe come over. And the, I uh, wouldn't even call them aggressive friendly. They're just aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> Dick and Joe. Yeah, they don't. Uh, well, I guess not as much as 
Tim or Donald Pleasance. They seem more suspicious of John Grant, the outsider, is one way that I kind of looked at it. Not suspicious mm-hmm. in a bad way, just kind of like sizing him up. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, do you take Tim Hines as he's not a minor? I don't know what he does. Dick and Joe are minors. Yeah. So they're the they're the, you know the seems like Tim's a bit more well off. Right. He he's seems dressed like a little nicer. Yeah, he's made something of himself. He's more clean cut. Yeah. Nice looking house, especially for the time at least in the setting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, Dick and Joe become a little suspicious of John Grant mm-hmm. as he goes on a little goes to have a chat with Jeanette outside. <laughs> like, well, what's he doing? Talking to the women? He'd rather talk to the women than drink beer. What? Everybody's <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't, I don't get it. He's from England. Like they basically called him a fag without calling him a fag, even though he's talking to the opposite sex. Right, even though it's the opposite. Which was weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what does he want to just hang out with us guys and drink all night? <laughs> what does he want to talk to women for? <laughs> and it's not like she was married. She's with the daughter. Well, it seems like she's given a tumble to, was it uh, Brain Fire? Which one's Jack Thompson, Dick or Joe? The more blonde, the smaller one. I can just look at it here. I got it up. Yeah, look it up. Yeah. Uh, Jack Thompson is Dick. And uh, as soon as he comes in, he does that where he kind of stands in front of Jeanette, doesn't let her pass. Mm-hmm. He's getting all close to her, just annoying the shit out of her. So it seems like you know, they've had a little history. So you can tell that she's she's not looking to tumble with any of the Yabba men anymore. So Seems that way. Yeah. Or if she does, it's out of desperation or boredom. Right. Both. Well, Do you know she's... To get in bed with old Pleasance. <laughs> <laughs> he's looking rough the entire movie. <laughs> so you can, you can... But he's an educated man and he's also an outsider. Right. Who is shit-faced constantly <laughs> and wears dirty wife beaters... <laughs> And just he, spouts off like philosophical shit, and he wipes himself off with water on his hand, at least. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so if she gave him a dumbbell, everybody's she's clearly desperate. Well, they both like I think to she, experiment. <laughs> That's why they get along so well, I think. I guess. And that he's a Brit, and that he's forty years older than her. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not sure how old her character was supposed to be. Yeah, I, considering she was the director's wife in real life at the time, I put her though 30s. I didn't. I guess I didn't view her as being past 30s. Maybe late 30s, but not 40. I didn't think of her as. Because I first assumed that she was the wife. That's how I him. took it. Yeah. And then you come to find out, no, it's like his daughter. Who just yeah, as a servant. Maybe she just uh, doesn't wanna. A lasting relationship with anyone in the Yaba? Because she, she's trying to get out. She doesn't want to stay pinned down. Mm-hmm. So she just, I don't know, when it gets to be too much, she'll you know throw a tumble to throw a tumble here, throw a tumble there. Just to feel something, man. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it goes. If no one else is available, Doc Titan. Because <laughs> he experiments. He doesn't remember any of it, but he experiments. Far ever to marry. Jeanette's the sort of girl I'd like to marry. 
she likes sex. She likes experiment and uh, she likes variety. We thought about getting married once, but neither of us could live with one person for very long. Still, she visits me from time to time when I want her. And when she gets bored with them. Beer. What's wrong with a woman taking a man because she feels like it? I really don't know. Because there's nothing wrong with it. Sex is just like eating. It's a thing you do because you have to. Not because you want to, but most people are afraid of it. You seem offended by my little discussion of Jeanette. In the circumstances, I thought you'd be interested. Well, I'm not. You're probably a little Puritan. Like the rest of these people. They think Jeanette's a slut. The women who'd like to act like her. And the men she has given a tumble to. Janet and I are alike. We break the rules. But we know more about ourselves than most people. So, Emma and Jeanette are out walking around, and she kind of turns into the aggressor. She's still not talking all that much, more mm-hmm. than she was. But then she just kind of lays down, starts undressing, and just. Well, he like, spouts off some poetry yeah. type lines almost about the moon and the stars or something to that effect. And that just captivates her and <laughs> panty dropper line is what that's called. Yeah. Although the look on her face <laughs> is still one of like discontent. Yeah. You ever had a panty dropper line? You just hook them? <laughs> I don't think so. No, me neither. That's why we're doing this podcast. <laughs> At least we're getting married. Yeah, I found somebody. Fucking Flash Gordon. <laughs> Sam Jones, well, Sam, Sam B will become Sam Jones in about just under, actually about two months from now. Yeah. Countdown. Countdown is on. Get those requests in, those emails. <laughs> you got some, you crushing on the bicep, let us know. Yeah. Time's a ticking. <laughs> so she presents herself, opens up her legs, just kind of like. Come on, let's do this already. Unbuttons her whole dress, everything. Yeah. He doesn't do anything. We just want to get that called out. I think he doesn't he uh like brush her cheek or hair. I think they kissing her. Yeah, they kiss. And then <laughs> almost immediately he And then he vomits. <laughs> now have you ever heard that? Uh no. <laughs> there was one time where I was making out with a girl and I got a nosebleed. Like we were laying down. And all of a sudden, so there's blood, and I look, get up, there's blood over both of our faces. And I'm like, one of us is bleeding. <laughs> and you go, it's you. I'm blaming you. It's your period, right? Uh, comes out of your face, right? I've heard. Is that all girls do it? I've heard women bleed from places. <laughs> this is it. This must be it. I don't trust anything that bleeds for five days and doesn't die. <laughs> Love that line. Uh so, yeah, he can't even perform with Jeanette, which is masculinity. This whole film, his masculinity is under attack. Mm-hmm. It's kind of one of the major themes. 
that we talk about. So he fails there, and then he goes back to the house, but then it basically cuts to the next morning. He wakes up, you know, kind of confused at Doc Titan's place. And uh, Doc's up cooking kangaroo with some, you know, ketchup. No. <laughs> Want some sauce? <laughs> now he asks, well, what time did the party end? He goes, oh, about dawn. And then uh, he's like, you know, eat your grub. Because he's like, oh, I should get going. You know, he's like, where the fuck are you going to go? <laughs> <laughs> it's a goddamn Yaba. Where are you going? <laughs> <laughs> it's like Sunday now. Yeah. And so uh, he's like, you have any aspirin? You know, he asked for water first. You know, Yaba waters for washing. Mm-hmm. Drink this down. He has something better than aspirin. So he gives him some pills, some more beer, and a little bit of kangaroo. He's like, you're going to need your energy. We're going out hunting with Dick and Joe kangaroo <laughs> you're bragging last night about how good of a no crack shot you were with a rifle talking about his award he won he had like a silver medal or something like that i can't remember if that gets brought up again is that bullshit is that supposed to be him just talking shit or is he being i think it's truthful because he does get the fox shortly after yeah that's true because then he's like yeah i got it they're like <laughs> Gives a shit. <laughs> They're all mangy around yeah, here. Yeah, well. They just shoot it for sport. Much like the kangaroos. Like, well, we we slit kangaroo throats around here. <laughs> Don't need a gun for that. So they, uh, you know, proceed to start drinking pretty heavily. Yeah. And there's two. Basically, there's two kangaroo hunts. Because they go out during the day. Just bu- I don't know how that car is just that surviving... <laughs> driving over that rough terrain because they are beating the shit out of i almost forgot about the car the car is baller <laughs> they have modified the roof on that car <laughs> that is a that's a wild scene to see on the outback that car flying around <laughs> how is that and like they're just running over trees not even just hitting kangaroos but hitting trees yeah and they're just like a couple of dings in it and it's like you do that probably once a week i'm sure <laughs> How is that car still ticking? <laughs> so they go out and shoot some kangaroos during the day. And then uh, they go back to the bar at night and then go out again at night to hunt kangaroo. Yeah. But uh, the kangaroo hunt, obviously famous for its controversy because it's real live kangaroos getting shot the hell up. Mm-hmm. Tekachev is a, I believe he's a vegetarian, is also a big animal lover. Mm-hmm. And he talks about the kangaroo hunt. What they did was he'd asked around about it. Like, how the hell are we going to film this scene? People said, well, there's people go out shooting kangaroos every night. Kangaroo hunts, especially at the time. uh, Kangaroo was a major, it was a major resource for American pet food. And then also they use the fur for like plush toys, Hmm. stuffed animals. Sure. Makes sense. So they use the pelt and then the meat. Like they said, you know, the meat, well, it's good enough for Doc Titan, but a lot of people didn't eat the meat and it would be used for pet food. So they were using it for the time and there were licensed hunts. And so what he did was he just went along with some hunters as they were going out for a routine hunt. Just, just let me film you, you know, because they would ask, you know, how do you, how do you want us to do it? And he's like, what are you talking about? And he was like, well, if you shoot them, you know, in the kidney, they'll drop straight down, you know, if. Shoot him towards the head. You know, maybe I'll give a couple of hops. Shoot him in the... So I have the exact quote. Okay, perfect. So the hunter said to Ted, 
I can shoot them in the heart, the brain, or the kidney. He said, if it's in the kidneys, they drop dead. Shoot them in the heart, and they leap around for four or five jumps. And in the brain, they spin around for a couple of seconds, and they die. And apparently, Kachev was horrified when he heard this. <laughs> Just methodical hunting technique, essentially. Yeah, and he's like, I don't want you to do anything for me. Not one thing. I'm just going to, I just want to film what you're doing. Do not take me into account at all. He didn't want anything special done, basically. Is that maybe the boxing? <laughs> that's where I dispute that a little bit. Well, that's. Because they fight him. Yeah. The hunters didn't fight him. <laughs> the actors fought him. Yeah, he talks about that, too. So. Uh, he said he has a lot more footage that he couldn't put in the movie because the hunters he was with started to get drunk, much yeah. like the people in the movie. Yeah. And they started, you know, their aim started to get a little off and shoot kangaroos and not those like three specific places. It gets very bloody. Yeah. He said it was just geysers of blood just going everywhere. Like their guts were hanging out and they're, mm -hmm. yeah. Yep. And so he couldn't even put that in the movie. Right. He thought that was too rough. And, like, what is already shown is, you know, pretty rough already. Mm -hmm. And then uh, so he chose not to put that other footage in there. However, uh, later in the 2000s, I believe, they kind of, around the time they kind of outlawed that, at least that type of kangaroo hunting, um, it was due in part because the footage he had was used to show, I think the Animal Society showed it to some people. Okay. And uh, that kind of helped with legislation or at least outlying that, that type of hunting. Hmm. Because there's still, I'm, I'm sure you can still, Australians let us know. Because I'm sure you can still shoot kangaroos under certain circumstances. Because kangaroos are not nice. They eat the resources. You know, people, at least back then, you know, there was you know, the miners and the farmers. So the sheep farmers, you know, they need grass. And kangaroos would eat the grass. And so they would, you know, didn't want the kangaroos around so they could, you know, raise more sheep or whatever livestock they had. And so currently, I'm not sure what the situation is, but it's probably something similar to what we have in America. You know, you kind of, if you have stuff on your land or animals on your land, you can pretty much shoot them. There's certain, mm -hmm. there's obviously still protected species. You know, if bald eagle comes on your property, you can't just shoot it. And, you know, people wouldn't want to either because there's no point in shooting it but certain things like that is protected by others you can pretty much do whatever the hell you want with even without a license you might even be able to shoot a deer without a license if it's on your own property yeah probably possibly yeah so yeah you can still hunt kangaroos in australia but uh yeah so i was pretty captivated in the theater watching this kangaroo hunt i was like jesus those are fucking real kangaroos getting shot this is you know this is something you don't see mm -hmm. on film real animals getting shot up and then he's gonna bare knuckle brawl the kangaroo because his dick goes out there <laughs> to which point i'm looking around like is everyone are we all watching the same fucking thing <laughs> Is this guy about to actually box a fucking kangaroo? I was going to say, I didn't watch it as closely the first time. I think this is the second or third time I watched this. Uh, and I watched it a lot closer this last time because I was like, is he actually boxing a kangaroo or is that fake? Is that the fake part? No, nah, he's boxing it. That's, that's a real kangaroo. They're holding him by the tails, I think I had read, to yeah. kind of keep them, you know, because kangaroos use their tail to prop up and then stick out their feet to rip open your stomach uh 
Yeah, they said like they'll they use it for balance, but then also they try and grab onto you and like hug you. Right. And then they'll kind of arch their back and like push push up and basically crush you. Yeah. Or tear you apart. So yeah, they're, they're holding on with their to huge muscles in their legs. Yeah, so people are holding on to the kangaroo tails from behind as they're boxing in the boxing scenes. Is once you lift it up at all, they can't really do shit. Mm-hmm. We already learned from Tosh that they can't they can't go backwards at all. Mm-hmm. Oop, new Fosters. <laughs> you know, they can't really go backwards at all. And once you remove, lift their tail up, they can't really do shit. Mm-hmm. So, but that kangaroo that's in that scene, Kachev said that it was an actual wild kangaroo, but it was, I believe it was fenced in somewhere. I can't remember how they came upon it, but he said it was about an eight-foot kangaroo that they called Nelson, like Admiral Nelson, like the, almost like the, you know, the rum. Mm-hmm. I think it's credited as Nelson the Fighting Kangaroo in the credits. That's what I think I remember seeing. And it was not killed, but... Uh, he said that it had one of its eyes shot out previously before they came upon it. So it was not fond of humans. And so that was it was kind of easier to get it to fight humans, pretty much. But yeah, I mean, if you watch it again, it's a lot of kind of grabbing, but nothing happening. Yeah. And then he gets behind it and slits its throat, which is... I don't know if they faked that part or if that was just another... Um, the shot from the actual kangaroo hunt that they used. Yeah. That they slid his throat, but that's how they fit in it because he talks about they set it free after that. Um kind of gave him a look and he's like, You're free to go. Go on. And then he finally just hopped away. Never to be seen again. <laughs> Later to be boxed by a different Australian. <laughs> so yeah, that actual kangaroo did not die. Well, I'm sure he is now. How about the baby one? Which one? John Grant. Oh. Sea slits? I did not hear about that one. Yeah. That one could have also already been dead. Like, when they cut it, because they show him pulling on it, and you see him swinging at it with the knife, but it mm. doesn't even look like it's really going in, because it's... No, right. The kangaroo, it could be just in front of him. Mm-hmm. It could be a fake knife, could be whatever, because you can't see the knife entering. It's on the other side yeah. of your vantage point. Yeah. And so maybe when they cut away, they went back to like a dead kangaroo or a fake kangaroo. And yeah. Sitting there just stabbing the shit out of it on the ground. Yeah. I'm sure that's how they did that. Because everything I heard from the interviews, you know, the actors didn't kill any of the kangaroos. It was all done on the hunt. Yeah. So. But yeah, that is crazy fucking scene because that's not something you see. No, and I had read that 12 people walked out during the 2009 mm-hmm. viewing of this at Con because the scene is so brutal. And it is brutal. Every time I've seen it, it's like, oof. <laughs> it just seems fucking rough. Like, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, it's pretty uh, it's pretty wild shit. Those kangaroos, some of those kangaroos are fucking assholes, though. Well, they, well, they <laughs> also said that there was a little more of an uproar around the time the movie was released. In 71, because uh, between 66 and 68 in Australia, they had a kangaroo TV show 
that starred a real kangaroo named Skippy. Mm-hmm. And apparently it was a family show that uh, Kangaroo was a detective and like the best friend of people and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was like kind of like our lassie. Yep. And so it kind of characterized Kangaroos as being kind of tame and affectionate and nice. And then this movie rolls out three years later and they're just massacring Skippies, essentially. And Chips Rafferty was actually on that show. Yeah. I haven't seen any of it, but I did hear the like intro song. It's like, Skippy! <laughs> Skippy! Skippy the bush kangaroo. <laughs> it's pretty sweet. It's like a 60s TV show, right? Is yep. that your info? 66 to 68. Okay. I read it aired. I'm sure they had reruns for fucking ever on Probably. that. It's like we had Lassie reruns until... I'm sure there's still places. I'm sure you can Lassie. find it on Sundance. I know Sundance plays old TV shows on there. Uh, yeah, but I'm sure you can find it somewhere else. Oh, and there was also, we should probably point out the disclaimer. So there is a disclaimer at the end of the film mentioning the hunting scene. I can't mm-hmm. remember the exact verbiage used, but it basically says the scene was filmed as part of an actual hunt. Like there's unknown. There was licensed hunters. Licensed hunters. No unnecessary killing of kangaroos occurred or something to that effect. It was all approved by the yeah. Australian Humane Society. Yep, that's right. And it I- said it was approved by them. Kacha said there was always a representative on set at all times. Yeah. So they didn't really hurt any other animals. Yeah. So take that into account. Take that to the bank. (laughs) (laughs) So they get done with the night kangaroo hunt and they go back to the bar. Because when they went to the bar during the day, that's when John Grant shot the fox. Mm -hmm. And they kind of make fun of him a little bit. But they come back and they are just shit-faced. The bar's like closed. Yeah, they, they come in full force where the bartender slash, I believe he lives there, homeowner. Yeah. <laughs> uh, goes ape shit, but he leaves the bar open. <laughs> yeah. He like wakes up pissed and then lets them drink. Because they start destroying some of the stuff, like <clears throat> kind of breaking stuff and they're trying to get in. He gets up pissed, yeah. but he's like, ah, okay, I guess I'll serve you. Right. And then uh, they start wrestling around. I think, it, is it Dick and Joe that are wrestling? Yeah, because yeah. they get into a little scuffle. Dick and Joe are wrestling around, and then Donald Pleasance are just sitting there just talking, his mm-hmm. philosophy talk. And then John Grant is, like, fucking keeled over. And he's starting to pass out yeah, there. Yeah, he's starting to pass out. And then uh, Pleasance kind of helps break it up. But when they destroy the bar, <laughs> they initially did it where um, Kachev was like, all right, we're going to film the scene, and pleasance was saying i need to i need to get drunk to do this because no you're one of the you know best actors in the english-speaking world you can pull this off and they filmed it and the next day he went up to him and said yeah drink all you want (laughs) pleasance was like yeah you didn't see the intensity in the eyes did you yeah (laughs) jesus you want to you want to go full method on it (laughs) i think he just wanted to drink (laughs) yeah So they filmed it. He got shit-faced, and then they filmed it, and that's what you see. So Pleasance is actually shit-faced in that scene when he's destroying stuff. Well, he looks like it. (laughs) (laughs) It's a hell of a job. So At the time, I was thinking, I was like, God, I wonder if he is drunk or not. But, yep, he was. Not like I thought he was faking, just you always wonder about that stuff. Mm -hmm. Because at first, when you read about it, you think it's only Chips Rafferty that's drinking. I mean, well, especially when the acting's so good, you're like, 
I'm curious if that person's actually shit faced. Mm-hmm. I assume some actors can't do it though. Some actors probably, if they get loaded, they can't act for shit. Yeah. Because they can't control it enough or probably remember that they're acting because they're tuned up. Uh, yeah, Rafferty, you do the direct and I'll do the drinking. Yeah. <laughs> Never been drunk a day in my life. He talked about, Kacho talked about how many pints he drank in a day. Tons. He takes. <laughs> He goes. He never. He never slurred one word. I slur words sober. Right. <laughs> so Rafferty, he's it's a real seasoned drinker. <laughs> yeah, he's kind of the man. Kind of like to see him in more stuff, or see more stuff of his, I should say. Right. So then, cuts to there's just kind of flashes after that of John Grant. <clears throat> Going back to Doc Titan's place. And they're just the- fooling around, a couple of guys <laughs> getting into it, playing night crawlers, playing Indian wrestling, <laughs> you know, naked. <laughs> and they kind of, because when you first see the scene, they're kind of wrestling, and then it's like Doc Titan's on top, and you don't see him kiss him yet. You see that later in the flashback and the montage. But there's yeah. like that moment where their faces are really close and it gets quiet and you're like, I know what's next. <laughs> but then it just cuts to John Grant waking up again in the morning. Yeah. His pants are undone, right? They're still kind of on, but they're... They're on, but they're unbuckled, unbuttoned, unzipped, okay. if I remember right. No shirt. I don't think he has a shirt on. And Pleasance walks out with just the shirt and no pants. Yeah, he's butt naked <laughs> besides the shirt. <laughs> Which is, again, the dingy, white feeder looking shirt. <laughs> and he's kind of like, so... Uh, so are we Facebook a fish, or <laughs> is it complicated? <laughs> <laughs> he's like, I'm going to be hitting the old dusty trail. <laughs> so Grant leaves, and I believe that's when he gets back to town. He gets into the bar. And Chips Rafferty is there because he goes and uh, I believe he gets all his stuff back. I can't remember if he got his because remember, he left uh, a $1 deposit for the keys of the hotel. Yeah. And I can't remember if that was the dollar that he used at the beer when he met Tim Hines. Because, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, Rafferty buys him a couple of beers, but he has his luggage with him. Rafferty no, no, searches no. it. Well, he left his luggage there. Oh, that's right. So he shows up at the bar, Rafferty buys him a couple beers, and then somebody points out the luggage. I think somebody else is maybe going to take the luggage or something, and he goes, oh, that's my luggage. Then Chips Rafferty vouches for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's his, because he asked him to ver- verify what's in it. Yep. And he tells him, and he opens up. He's like, yep, he's good. Not that I doubted you, of course, John. Right. <laughs> but also, his mood has changed. It is like attitude towards Grant, where he kind of gives him... He's giving him a lot of weird looks or looks of disdain almost. He's not as friendly as he was. He's buying him beers, mm-hmm. but it seems like he's looking down on him a little bit. And it's, I don't know if that's just because of, well, I saw you like two, three days ago and it, nothing's happened. You're wearing the same shit and you're still getting beers from us. You lost all your money. Maybe his lack of control with yeah, drinking probably. in the Yaba. Mm-hmm. Where all, all the other, even Donald Pleasance and Dick and Joe are fucking wild. 
you know, during the day or leading up to like the night, uh, they're pretty controlled drinkers, if you can put it that way. Yeah. Like they still compose themselves. John Grant looks like hell for like the past two days. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, everybody's buying him beers. He isn't buying his own. He's just kind of fucking tagging along. Chips Rafferty, you know, he doesn't want no no scum walking around his town. Just wants guys who want to drink, but then make some money to buy your own fucking drinks <laughs> and tip them back. Also, you know, at the beginning, John Grant is so pompous and looking down upon everything. Mm-hmm. He's so high and mighty. And it could be, you know, not so high and mighty now, are you? Yep. Uh, I can't remember if you mentioned, but the two beer brands featured in the film, West End Bitter, a South Australian beer, and Courage Bitter. An attempt by English brewer to enter the Australian market. Hmm. The attempt failed. It's <laughs> <laughs> the note I have. So from there, he takes his luggage, heads out. He ends up getting uh, hitching a ride with some guy in a truck. The, the first truck. Yeah. And they pull up to a spot. And he's like, yeah, come in and buy you a beer. <laughs> he's like, no. I don't want a fucking beer. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, he pisses that guy off because he won't go and drink with him. <laughs> <laughs> and he ends up hitching a ride with another guy with a bigger truck. But he kind of has to give him his rifle yep. in lieu of pay yep. to hitch a ride. Because he asks if he's going to the city. He goes, yep, going to the city. But she... Unbeknownst to him, right. the city is not Sydney. The city to this guy was the ABBA. Yeah, because the Yabba's popping off around that area. <laughs> I mean, Broken Hill in real life and then the Yabba in the movie, it seems like that is like the biggest town in the surrounding area because they talk about it being one of the innermost towns in the outback. Mm-hmm. So I'm guessing, yeah, to like when we talk about our West Central Minnesota, you know, my town was the biggest for about 45 miles. Yep. And then that town was the biggest for 90 miles. Yeah. At least 60 to 90 miles. I mean, even you when go you go further west in the South Dakota, there isn't Watertown that's maybe. I mean, they got go karts and a zoo. Well, I they mean, the, the lingo <laughs> even in our area when you're going to Wilmer was sorry, you heading into town? You just refer to it as you're heading into town, go mm-hmm. get something or. Even now, friends that live on the country, it's like, oh, yeah, heading into town, go grocery shop or something. Go get something to eat in town. You just refer to it as town because <laughs> yeah. everything else is just, you know, it's small. And in case some of you international listeners or U.S. listeners are confused, us Minnesotans tend to refer to distance as time. So we say it's about an hour away. Yeah. It's about 60 miles away yeah. or 100 kilometers Yep. You metric well for everyone, but everybody us. besides <laughs> the U.S. <laughs> and we also refer to the Twin Cities, Minneapolis, St. Paul, as just the cities. You going to the cities now? Do you still do that now that you've lived here longer? Do you still refer to it as the cities? Somebody yeah. asked you where do you live. Do you say the cities or do you say Bloomington? I'll say both. I'll say, uh, I'm in the cities, uh, Bloomington. At least because they'll say, we're at, you know, Bloomington. See, I, d- I don't as much anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
I just say Bloomington. But that's changed probably in the past year or so. Yeah. Year or two. And Bloomington is also the biggest suburb out of them all. Right. Because it's just, I think it's just over 100,000. If we lived in a different suburb, it would be a little different. Well, fucking Bloomington, for people who don't know the area, essentially runs directly into Minneapolis. It's directly the south. city. Yeah. I mean, you, you could get in, you could travel from Bloomington into Minneapolis and not even know it. Yeah. The neighborhood's just Well, there's continue. technically Richfield's in the middle. Yeah. But then again, you know, you're on any of the interstates or anything mm-hmm. like that, you just go right over it. Yeah. You can pass through several towns without really knowing it if you didn't know the area. Some of the old sports teams used to have stadiums here. Well, a stadium here. Yep. Twins and the Vikings used to play in Bloomington at the old Met. Yep. And the Met is now where Mall of America stands. So Bloomington still has Mall of America. And the airport is just on the other side of the interstate. Mm-hmm. So I think that the airport, they still technically call Minneapolis. I mean, they call it Minneapolis-St. Paul International Airport. I think so. I think it's technically city of Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, yeah, I think the metro areas around, was that 3 to 4 million? Because I think it's something like the 14th biggest metro population in the U.S. Yeah, I mean, it's not huge. It's, yeah, it isn't huge, but it's not as tiny as you might think. The metro is pretty – I mean, the there's so many suburbs. Yeah. And I think even more so than – some other cities mm-hmm. across the country, which I think is what. Well, plus you know we have two. I mean, Minneapolis is about almost twice the size of St. Paul. Yeah, Minneapolis. I think the actual population is around four hundred thousand, and St. Paul's around like two two fifty. Yeah. So it's almost like two mini cities that have a bunch of suburbs of their own that all mesh together as one. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah. So that's what we refer to shit as. But we're, we grew up about an hour or about 60 miles from the South Dakota border. Yep. And in South Dakota, there isn't really any big cities until you get to what, Rapid, which is West Central, Western South Dakota. Sioux Falls. North Dakota, there isn't really any big cities. Fargo's. Fargo. 150,000, 200, something like that. But yeah, our area is kind of in the middle of. Mm, there's a vast expanse of no big cities. Yeah. Because the the Twin Cities are about 120 miles east of where we're from. Yeah. Yeah, that's about right. So, a little similar to the Yabba. More women, though. <laughs> yeah. They're not as depressed. <laughs> not as. <laughs> not as. <laughs> you underline that. But some... As. Are getting there, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> so he goes to sleep in the back of that bigger truck and he wakes up and like, oh, sweet. I'm in fucking Sydney now. He gets out. He's back in the fucking Yaba again. <laughs> Not happy about it. By that time, he's kind of delirious. He's probably he's got to be dehydrated to beat hell. Mm-hmm. And he's kind of stumbling around in the desert. He shoot. What does he shoot? A bunny, I believe. A yeah. rabbit. Rabbit. Cooks that cooks up. It. And he has like one bullet left. He's kind of thinking about it. And that's when the montage kind of starts. He starts having these visions. I mean, it's probably from the heat and being out there. Mm-hmm. It's probably delirious at this time. Yeah, also contemplating why he should use that one bullet on himself and not more food. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the fuck has happened? <laughs> and... <clears throat> 
or just flashbacks from blacking out (laughs) yeah there's he gets some flashes of his night with donald pleasance yeah that's when you see kind of him kiss kiss him and then also like it shows him and jeanette i believe in that point yeah it's also where you see the 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 tails the tails pennies Mm -hmm. going to donald pleasance which is done in reverse which is pretty sweet yeah going to his eyes and immediately after that he goes hunting for donald pleasance yeah and so i i'm guessing it's because he sees doc titan as the source of his pain and his anguish yeah maybe sees him a little bit as the devil with the almost like snake eyes mm-hmm. and so he goes trying to kill him yeah he shows up to doc titan's place he's not there so he gets in the corner and starts waiting for him but then he just decides fuck it i'm gonna kill myself and the marksman can't fucking kill himself <laughs> doesn't doc titan bust in right as he shoots himself yep and that yeah yep because he starts aiming at his head and doc comes in like no and then like bam mm-hmm. and then he just wakes up in the hospital it's old chip Rafferty. <laughs> <laughs> They cleaned a suit for him, though. Nice little dry clean on the yeah. suit job. He walks out of there looking squeaky clean. It almost and seems like they've done this before. <laughs> <laughs> Doc Titan uh, gives him shit for not being able to, you know, for being a marksman. Couldn't even kill himself by shooting himself in the head yeah. at, you know, close range. <laughs> they have an awkward exchange on the platform by the train. Mm-hmm. And then he head back to Tabunda. Charlie, oh, how was the vacation? <laughs> how was your holiday? So it's like Charlie's like, I don't wonder if Charlie kind of knows at all what he got himself into. You wouldn't think that he would, but it almost seems like he does. Because in the beginning of the film, you can tell like he's, I guess, cordial enough with him, but it doesn't seem like he's his biggest fan. Right. Kind of putting up with him because he's rooming or, you know, renting from him. Mm-hmm. And then he does, because he isn't the friendliest. He's definitely not friendly like people in the ABBA. Right. Uh, anything else you want to add just to that, just the story? Um, No, I don't think so. I think we covered it pretty well. Um. It's got to be the craziest Christmas break anybody's ever experienced. Because <laughs> you forget until I forgot until the end of the movie that I was like, oh, that's right. This is Christmas break from school. <laughs> <laughs> All the kids are coming back after Christmas break. It's so, Christmas up here, you know, winter and fucking cold. It's right. summer and hot down in Australia. So really, if you consider it, he had, you know, what some people would consider a pretty, pretty, pretty good Christmas break. Went somewhere warm. Got shit-faced a lot. <laughs> Tried, almost got some. He failed, but he yeah. almost got some. Uh, went on a little adventure. Did some kangaroo hunting. Well, he did get some action, technically. Oh, he did. You're right. <laughs> so he experimented. Tried something new. Uh, he avoided family. He did get raped, which does happen on vacations. I, I, I'm not saying I condone it, but it happens. <laughs> And he contemplated his life decisions. So, I mean, he, he pretty much wrapped up most people's checklist when they go on vacation. So, it's a good vacation flick. Yeah, consider d- that. definitely an, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely an odyssey of self-discovery. Yeah. 
I want to point out one theme that maybe isn't as prominent as others, but John Grant, being an outsider, being from England, working in the outback, he's kind of out of place. And he's also very pale-skinned. And he can't deal with the heat like everyone else can, the locals. Mm -hmm. They've been there longer. I know Australians came from the same place. Yep beforehand but they had those they'd been there for generations yeah and then adapted to the environment where john grant had been there a half a year or a year and a half and he had never done anything like that in the yaba he didn't go on any benders i'm sure in tabunda and it's a little bit of white man's burden kind of white men going where they don't belong because they're not equipped to deal with that that environment and that climate white men yeah like white man's burden yeah colonizing places that they don't belong technically yeah. with the environment and the climate like in africa in south america in the jungle places mm -hmm. like that there would be a lot of ex similar experiences not getting raped by donald pleasance but <laughs> <laughs> but similar things like that i think that's maybe one of the themes it's trying to touch on is like a little bit, a little hint of white man's burden because he's an outsider mm -hmm. and he's in a place he doesn't belong and he's out of his element. Yeah. Even though they're all white, mm -hmm. technically, but he is also pale skinned and doesn't doesn't take to the heat well. Yeah. Everyone else kind of deals with it. I mean, it could just be that the Yaba population is kind of representative of other indigenous cultures that were colonized by mm -hmm. kind of european imperialism and whatnot I, I after reading more about it it really seems like a expose <laughs> i don't know, kind of it it just seems like it's really highlighting broken hill and that uh the author of the book kenneth cook's experience with it and how it was so contrary to how romantic he thought the outback was going to be and what he experienced when he was there mm -hmm. um that that seems like the biggest I, I just the more i read about like him developing the book and his time in broken hill and all the similarities that he brought into the movie from there it seems like that's what the book was about and that's what the movie got built into i see your point with that i mean that makes sense because even ted kotcheff made the comment um god he had the one quote i remember reading that was specific to that he said broken hill was a place that white men shouldn't go or something i, I can't remember the exact line but he refers to it in somewhat of a similar light the director of the movie mm -hmm. so maybe bake that in too and during the whole movie we talked about how his his masculinity is constantly under attack at least under scrutiny he can't be formed with the lady. He can't really. I mean, he ends up killing that kangaroo, but it's a baby. Yep. And they shoot. He shoots the fox, but none, no one, else, no one's impressed because they don't give a shit. And it's like, ah, oh, I shot him mm -hmm. just for sport. I think masculinity is masculinity and not kind of the emotional attachment to 
another person is a big deal. I don't know. You, it, because they don't, they're with women, but you never see them with women. They're always with, it's always guys with guys. Mm-hmm. And clearly they have sex with women because Jeanette is having sex with Donald Pleasance. Uh, mm-hmm. And But they're not close they're- whatsoever. So they got to maintain this aggressive posturing tough guy thing but then they wrestle so there's like that yeah. affection with other men uh like Kachev thought you know a lot of them fight just because they want the physical contact physical contact but they don't get it but they got to make else. sure they're still being a man mm-hmm. uh kind of that conflict between being sentimental or close to another person without you know kind of putting your guard down so to speak and like John Grant or Men in general throughout the film are kind of degraded. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot like you do a double bill with this. You show Wake and Fright, and then you show Deliverance. Yeah. And they are very, very similar movies. Yeah, that's a good point. Deliverance, a few friends go to have fun down a river in the, not the outback, but it's very rural country it's deep south it's the backwoods right, of yeah. the deep south yep what i would say it's there? comparable ned Beatty, very comparable ned Beatty also gets raped not yep. by donald pleasance but it gets raped yep and uh i guess the only difference is the locals and deliverance aren't friendly or aggressively friendly like these ones they're I've, they raped the they raped ned Beatty, mm-hmm. and then there's you know kind of the back and forth between yeah. burt reynolds but also they're in an area. Well, Burt Reynolds kind of belongs there because he's an outdoors type. Yeah. John Voight and Ed Beatty, they're out of their element. Yeah. In that environment. So, yeah, American equivalent might be deliverance. I'd agree with that. That's a good point. I and they're also trying to do man shit, you know, hunting and camping and kayaking down the river, trying to, you know, live off the land outdoors and whatnot mm-hmm. also there's a there's a lot of occurrences of a light being shown on something mm-hmm. like when john grant flips the coins up and that's uh when they land on tails immediately before they he flips them up and he sees that there's a not a spotlight but a hang a light that's hanging down mm-hmm. it looks right into it he's like blinded for the first time yeah and then they fall tails and then like they're shining headlights on the animals and then they freeze and like they call shoot it them. spotlighting yep spotlighting the kangaroos so that they they're, just, almost, they're almost hypnotized by the light so they stop and stare yeah. yep similar thing in america deer in the headlights mm-hmm. it always freezes yep. so you hit so many of them with your car yep or i'm sure there's some hunters out there that might drive around and shine a light and then shoot them <laughs> probably <laughs> i'm sure it's rare but it happens somewhere mm-hmm. So I believe that uh, I think there's also a light hanging over the table at Doc's place. Isn't there a light that's uh, there swinging? Is because they yeah, it starts swinging when they're wrestling around that one night, mm-hmm. and I think it uh, he breaks it. He starts shooting. That's right. He starts shooting in the room, <laughs> and he shoots the light bulb. So John Grant's almost a little bit like a an animal caught in the headlights. Mm-hmm. Let's see here, any more? You want to touch on the themes at all? Uh, the one thing that I kind of was curious about is where the title came from. It's Awake in Fright. I couldn't find a ton. One thing I did find, it came from 
the novel that the movie's based on took its title from an old curse I found. Okay. Uh, and the actual line from the curse is, may you dream of the devil and wake in fright. Now, I tried to search for this curse to see what's it tied to, who's it tied to. The only thing I could find was an English novelist and humorous poet and priest in the Church of England and... Uh, between 1788 and 1845, so long he lived, Richard Harris Barnum, he wrote a poem called The Jackdaw of Rhymes, R-H-E-I-M-S, Rhymes, in which this line said. It's the only thing I could find on okay. it. So the curse and the poem kind of don't connect necessarily, so I don't know what to make of that, but um thought that was kind of interesting. That line actually could give a little more evidence to Doc Titan being kind of the devil in disguise. Yeah. Yep. When you first see him, he's dressed in all black. Right. Um, and that montage where he's delirious, that could be a dream. And you see the snake eyes, devil in disguise. Well, and he's somewhat hypnotizing in a sense. Yep. Like he captivates you because he's an alcoholic, but he's a very intelligent doctor uh, who he, he can, he can conversate well. He, having sex with Jeanette, mm-hmm. which anybody who's seen the movie doesn't make any sense. Uh, but, yeah, it kind of shows that maybe I can see the devilish elements of him. Not necessarily that, like that he's just like the devil incarnate, mm-hmm. but at least the source of John Grant's pain. Right. Yep. Because, I mean, he's providing services to the town, medical services, because all he requires is beer and kangaroo basically lives rent free lives off the land off the other people talks about how everyone is as you've seen very hospitable so at least because at the end him and doc titan kind of like i said it's a little uncomfortable but it's at least cordial enough mm-hmm. to it's not like donald pleasant just has it out for him the whole time like he's just crazy devil character like i'm gonna doing John Grant. Right. Isn't necessarily like that, but somewhat somewhat of a antagonist. Yeah. Devil in disguise type character. Um I think we talked about all the fun facts that I had. Yeah. You hit on all the ones I had too. Oh, the one thing that more relevant apparently a mini series is being released later this year in Australia based on Wake and Fright. And fine, I didn't really dig in too deep on that, but that was one thing I came across. Yeah, I saw that mentioned, and yeah, that... I'm just curious, like, what the what the hell are you going to do? <laughs> going to do, like, a couple episodes, like, miniseries? And then, like, what are you really going to explore? Is this I just going to be a longer bender? I suppose bender? if it's based on the book, it could, it could be a totally different portrayal of the book depending on how it was written maybe i don't know although the book they say you know ted kachif did did the book justice they talk about how they stayed very close to the story which we mentioned apparently he likes doing a lot of movies based off of books first blood was a book before the movie oh really mm-hmm. i didn't know that I, I got it over there was weekend at bernie's a book <laughs> children's book <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> well, um, if we had to rate this, I would definitely rate it an ASAP. I'd say ASAP. 
This is a movie that I'm going to say I've seen three times and it gets better every time. Watch this movie ASAP. ASAP. ASAP, ASAP. Scorsese would agree. Now we know that this was a harder movie to get or it was a harder movie to come across because like we said, it wasn't in circulation. It wasn't a VHS, Laserdisc, mm-hmm. all that. But ever since 09 and that new Blu-ray release that I have, it's seek it out. If you haven't, if you're listening to this because it's a rare movie, seek it out. It is an experience. I'd agree. I'd probably put it at least in my top 25, maybe knocking on top 10 type door. Yeah, it's tough to say. I was I, I would say to be safe, I'll say top fifty. Yeah. Yeah. It's in wrong there, with that. Yeah. We watch a lot of movies. <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see, I'll fit all Tarantinos and Kubricks in there <laughs> and then what am I at? <laughs> uh, all right, I think that'll do it. Wake in fright. Reach out to us. Email us at watchthismovie at yahoo.com. Suggestions, criticism, talk shit if you want to, whatevs. Uh, follow us on Twitter at watchthis underscore movie. Go to our website at wtmwatchthismovie.com. Please do us a favor. Give us a nice rating on the old iTunes, Stitcher, what have you. And then I'll do it. We'll check you later. Guess we'll see you around. All right, check you later. Bye. Wait, man, why are you always such a dork, man? What are you talking about? Check you later. Check you later. Hey, man, you're off my case.